Like, I think having that line of Ian Malcolm even asking, I think he's maybe supposed to be a part of the audience in that moment to kind of be like, hey, you're not weird for thinking, are they together or are they not, when we're having one of the main characters ask the same question. Because they aren't, like, overly romantic by any No, means. they don't even um, touch each other. They don't touch yeah. each other. for the. They hug each other one time when the dig gets funded, but they hug each other like co-workers would hug each other if they found out yeah. they weren't getting fired. But, right, like but they, there's uh, also, they got promoted. But I, I think I, I, there's that really awesome line that happens really quickly where he's like, Dr. Grant talks about kids and, uh, or Hammond talks about kids and Dr. Grant says, what are those? But he was asking, an, he was asking, what are the, those other things you just mentioned? And Ellie uh, Sattler goes, oh, kids are just really small adults. Yeah. <laughs> like to kind of like give him a jab, like, yeah, we, we, we know you don't like kids, you know? And so yeah. the, I think there are enough little hints fed to the audience throughout the way to let you know that they are together. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It, I actually really the, liked it just because I, in the terms of like, I like that they didn't pigeonhole Ellie Sattler as just the girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Like she actually got to be like a full-fledged character without – because I feel like so often the female lead like in those oh, situations she yeah, she is like the very one-dimensional yeah. and stuff like that. And she got to actually have like character development and like a little bit more depth than I think if they would have focused on their relationship more. And they even have that line later, right, where it is like a, it is a, an acknowledgement about how well-written the Ellie character <laughs> is, where Hammond goes, I should be going to do this thing because, well, you know. And she's like, we can have a conversation about, like, your misogyny later. Like, mm-hmm. so I'll, just, I'll just go do this because it needs to get done. One could also argue that Ellie is the only person in this movie that actually does something to, like, <laughs> help them get off this fucking island, right? Everyone else yeah. is like – because Samuel saves the kids, I guess you could argue this and stuff. But nobody's really, like <laughs> – He's kind of occupied. Yeah, and who, but, Jeff well, Goldblum like, has to have his stretch out, you know? Yeah, Jeff Goldblum's like, i got to lay down for the last 45 minutes. Man, they sideline him so fast in this. I like, know. <laughs> this is crazy. Anyway. Uh, but I, he's yeah. also, like, not – Like, he's like, Captain Marvel, Tim. Too <laughs> <laughs> OP. It is what it is. And it's what it is. He's off-world. Off-world. Oh, my gosh. so funny. But, it, like, at least uh, Sattler and Grant, like, are used to being on these digs and have all these things, like – he doesn't have, like, a lot of practical skill, I think, to get what, them the off of the island. Other yeah, than them compared to everybody else. Shit, to point out the obvious of, like, I was right. Yeah, he has no other reason to be there. Um, but we move on. They head to the remote control cars to take the tour, and Grant gets stuck in the car with the stinky kids. His word, not mine. Uh, Muldoon tracks an incoming storm while Samuel L. Jackson on screen for the first time. S.L.J., baby. S.L.J., who fucking heater. There yeah. is not one. He is so cool in this movie, and it makes me <laughs> want to smoke so bad, Tim. <laughs> Can you even imagine a, a world right now where Nick Fury comes on screen smoking a dart? Just oh It's not going to happen anymore, but he's just – everyone's so sweaty. And he's yeah. It's funny because, like, so cool. he's a fucking nerd yeah. in this movie. Like, yeah. I don't think he's supposed to be cool, but you just I can't – you can't have SLJ doing – Anything close yeah. to smoking a cigarette and not just being the dopest looking dude <laughs> in the fucking world, man. Uh, go for it. No, you go for it. I was going to say uh, a fun thing that I noticed in this uh, was uh, they talk about future attractions. Like they're in a room when they beat SLJ around here. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the screen, there's like a bunch of like future attractions for the park. And uh, a couple of them are what we end up seeing in Jurassic World. Did you notice yeah. that? Oh, cool. Like one of them cool. was that big like pool thing. The big that, uh, the big, the yeah, big the big tank. tank. I was like, oh, shit, that's, that's kind of fun. 
That's really, really cool. Uh, of course, Samuel L. Jackson gets to say the fun line here that I believe made it into the trailer. So he goes, hold on to your butts. And we uh, we start the tour. Uh, we learn a little bit about... I want to talk about something real quick. Sure. Tim talked about how like iconic this movie is. And like if you've ever existed on the internet and have somehow never seen Jurassic Park, it, it's wild how many moments during the movie, including this one, you'd be like, oh, that's where this came from. And, like, mm-hmm. this movie has to have, like, a, an incredibly high percentage of those moments compared to, like, I don't I don't know, I can't think of anything off the top of my head other than, like, The Office, where it's, like, gift so much that you would see things that you didn't mm-hmm. necessarily understand. Oh, yeah, hold on to your butts is just, like, something I say all the fucking time. <laughs> yeah, and so it's just, like, I think it was by the time I got to this point that I was, like, man, this is just so quotable and, like, things that I'm sure there's a ton of people that have, especially, like, as we get to younger generations who have mm-hmm. maybe not seen this, but, like, just know it because I mean, it's pop culture on. endemically. How many times do you see the, the slow zoom in on Jeff Goldblum while he's lying there, like, freaking like, like he's just a <laughs> sex symbol with his shirt open. It's the best. Um, we learn a little bit about Kevin's favorite dinosaur, the Dilophosaurus, which spits venom at its prey, causing blindness, and eventually paralyzes it. But we don't get to see it, unfortunately. And this is the first time that maybe some stuff wasn't so thought out on this tour. Uh, it's so here. great, right? Like, how dope is it that they get on this tour and it's, like, the first exhibit, it's not there. And it's, like, that it works, again, on two levels where there's the one side of it of, like, okay, is this a good idea? I don't know. Like, the the park seems kind of, like, iffy. But then there's the other side of, this is terrifying. Mm-hmm. That, that we don't have eyes on this thing, especially because uh, the scene when we get the the raptor cage and the with the cows being lowered into it, one thing I loved that Steven Spielberg did was have the camera switch between them looking out at it and the camera in the raptor cage and the sound effects change from hearing, like, the <laughs> of them, like, killing the cow to them being inside it. And it is just a cacophony of disastrous, like, horror movie shit going on and like to know that that's what's going on in these different exhibits and then to be driving by this exhibit and then explain the horrible death that these things can allow and Mm -hmm. then it not being there i just think is like such a like uh, it's perfect it's just absolutely perfectly paced uh hammond gives an editor some shit because he's messy and tries to run the entire park from his multi-monitor setup at his desk and then they argue about money uh then muldoon quits uh, quiets them down because they're approaching the t-rex area and they talk about man eating god or something weird like that what's, what's the uh, what, what's what are they what's the word that they call it the t-rex bay is it no i don't know i, I didn't write it down there, there's like a word that 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 scientist in particular keeps on mentioning that i really liked but yeah then we get the uh 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 god creates man man, man creates dinosaur dinosaur eats man and then i think ellie goes uh and then women, women uh, yeah, yeah, dinosaur yeah. East Man, women inherit the earth. Yeah, they're great. Mm-hmm. Uh, great, just great. This Phenomenal in this yeah, movie. So good. Uh, good in everything, the, you know? She is good. Okay, I don't understand people that don't like Laura Dern. Well, there's some stuff. There's some stuff. We're not going <laughs> to bring that energy into this. Uh, then they raise a goat up from the ground, but the T-Rex never shows up, and it's so boring, the goat himself even just lays down and goes to sleep. Malcolm, of course, takes the opportunity to just absolutely dunk on him, and he looks up into the little camera and goes, now, eventually you plan on having dinosaurs on your dinosaur tour, right? To which Ham replies, I really hate that guy. Then this is the this is the gift that always comes to my mind whenever Nick does anything. And mm-hmm. I think of Hammond saying, 
I really hate that man. <laughs> like, that is exactly what I think about. <laughs> I'm glad I can evoke that kind of emotion. Uh, let's see. They come across a triceratops uh, who poops more than my brother, and Ellie pops a boil on its tongue. Uh, Grant oh, listens to so its gross. breathing, and it's just a great magical little scene. Uh, Ellie realizes that there's some West Indian lilac that it might be getting into that might be causing it to have these uh, this, this illness. Uh, and she asks to root through the its poop, and she kind of gets it all over her legs. And I'm like, ooh, that's your Okay, we're wearing shorts and all you do. Like, if you're going to jump into a pile of poop that big, give me a full suit. I don't want to just have a little arm poop things. Oh, Chad called it out, the paddock. Mm-hmm. That's, a paddock. That's a cool name. Quiet. They're reaching the, the Tyrannosaurus Rex paddock. So cool. Um, this is the scene Joey was talking about where uh, Lex falls down and then Grant helps her up and she holds his hand. He can't, he can't get rid of it. And he's, <laughs> it's the first time it's kind of, he kind of softens to the kids. Um and then back at the control center, they pull the plug on the tour and return back, uh, return them back to the garage because the, the 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 storm is coming in. Uh, out of time, Nedry sets his plan in place as the storm rolls in with a fury. Uh, Ray, played by Samuel Jackson, lights another dart and notices that the security systems are shut down. Nedry raids the bio lab and heads out uh, while the cars get stuck on the tracks. Uh, fences start to fail all over the park. Uh, and it's absolutely eight. fucking horrifying. Yeah, I also love. When Nedry is like explaining, like, uh, I'm gonna go get something, but like, think, like, it's just the word vomit of it. Of, yeah, I need to be cool, but I need to explain what's happening, but I need to pretend like I'm just going to get something. And it's just like, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like word vomit. I'm like, oh, that's Man. so relatable. And I feel I'll, like he spells it so well. I'll tell you what, he hits on, a, he hits on something that young Nick never understood until he said it. He goes, I'm going to go to the vending machines. Do you guys want anything from the vending machines? I had a lot of sugary things, and right now I want some, I need something salty to count. Yeah. So, like, fucking so a, true, man. bro. Like, that's so true. Like, I just had a bag of M&Ms. Maybe I go for the hot fries after Yeah, that, exactly. You know? It's yeah. so funny. Uh, again, shout out to Wayne Knight. Uh, of course, in his haste uh, to make it to East Dock, he, he skids out of control and slams into the sign, which is pointing the direction. And, I, and I, that, that part's the scariest thing where he, like, twirls it, and it just keeps it goes around. He's like, shit, I don't know how, where to go now. Uh, Timmy finds a set of night vision goggles, and everyone hears a thud in the distance that shakes those little glasses of water they give you at cocktail parties, which never actually hydrate you. Now, fun fact about this one, Tim. Do you have this written down at all? Mm-mm. In order to get the perfect... Put like a uh, ripple of water. They had to put a gigantic like wire underneath the 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 dashboard and like pluck it so that it would resonate. Oh, yeah. They tried to like they tried a bunch of things apparently like like pounding on the dashboard and all that stuff, but it didn't look right. It needed to be it needed to be uh, concussion coming up from the ground, and so they had. To, I guess they did it that way, which is crazy. wow. Yeah. I mean, so here's the thing. Like, this movie, we can say iconic a bazillion times, and we're going to be right because every single thing is. And I feel like every single scene, we're like, this is the scene of the movie. This is the scene of the movie. But, like, real talk, this is the scene of the movie. Mm-hmm. And, like, this entire, entire bit is so good at just making you believe, scaring the hell out of you. Like, it, the the levels of it ratcheting up. To the point of this thing being terrifying, them being separated, the Jeep falling over the thing. Before it falls over the thing, it's on top of them, and they're now about to drown in mud. It's so creative and so good at just constantly adding new levels of threat. Um, to these these characters that like you just don't want to die, and it's like there there's so many different things that can kill them in a Final Destination type mm-hmm. situation. Except one of the things is a fucking dinosaur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right, Tim. And this is another one of those great moments where I think the scene works so well because of the gigantic animatronic T Rex that they made. 
because um, you don't see too much CG in this. I think a lot of this was just a big-ass fucking puppet they made. But that that thing slamming through the top glass of the car and the kids having to stop it, like having to do that one time where you try to fix Paula's sunroof. And, like, yeah. All that stuff <laughs> is so terrifying. This whole scene plays out so beautifully. And, of course, yeah, we, with... Nick, it was just like that. Like, a <laughs> like that. We, get this, we get the CG of the Tyrannosaurus Rex finally breaking through the fence, and it sort of steps in, in the whole sequence where Grant is trying to, like, lead it with the flare or whatever. Um, but all of that just looks so good. And I think a lot of it is because it was the, the, the choice to shoot it at night, the choice to shoot it in the rain. So some of it is obscured mm-hmm. a little bit, but yeah, to this day, I still think that like, obviously the CG still holds up super well. I think there's a couple sequences that like upon uh, 70th watching or whatever with these UHD versions of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I in that. particular, the, the close-up shot of the ground looking up when they first see the Brachiosaurus in that intro sequence, um, you can see the texture work on the dinosaurs just, like, is not quite up to snuff the way you, you thought it was, yeah. But still, like, I think just the setting and the way that they look so lived in that world and they don't add in any way ever look like they're kind of floating in some fake area, uh, it's still incredibly impressive for that era especially. There's a uh, like Corridor Digital, uh, who if you guys aren't familiar with, you should get familiar on YouTube. Incredibly talented VFX artist. Uh, they do a series where they challenge each other to like fun VFX battles and stuff. And one of the battles was remaking this scene with modern technology. And uh, it's a 25 minute video that came out uh, last November. Just YouTube re remade the Jurassic Park T Rex. Uh, it is one of the most fascinating videos I've ever seen because they break down every element of Jurassic Park. Like, they watch it, and they're like, oh, they probably did this. They definitely did this. I heard in the interview they did that. And they're like, this is how we're going to do it with modern stuff. And then you see what they make, and it's like, it's just so incredible. That's cool. Incredibly That's so impressive. fun. Um, there's another little fact here that I think was in the movie that made us, movies that made us, where they, they said they had a hell of a time with the animatronic T-Rex because they didn't account for the rain. And apparently when you, you pour rain on uh, something that's predominantly made of foam, it sucks up the foam and makes it, like, four times heavier. And so oh, they just, like, they had, yeah, they were like, oh, this is a problem we didn't think of. It's just like, yeah. Also, uh, didn't happens. all the electronics get wet? And oh, because yeah. of that, it would kind of randomly move on its own? Yeah. Kathleen Kennedy says, the T-Rex went into the heebie-jeebies sometimes, scared the crap out of us. It would get wet when we were, like, eating lunch, and all of a sudden, the T-Rex would come alive. At first, we didn't know what was happening, and then we realized it was the rain. You'd hear people just start screaming. It was terrifying. (laughs) Oh, my God. Fuck um, no, no, man. So, so the the roar of uh, the T-Rex is obviously an iconic sound effect. Do you guys know or want to guess? What combination of sound effects you this is? Have a line I know somewhere. this. Yeah, I've so, seen this so many fucking times. I got a list of five animals that they okay. have here. So we're guessing. Go for it. Lion. I want to say something weird like a duck or a goose. You're very close, Joe. Not one of those. Not a lion either. Tiger. I'll give you tiger. Tiger and lion, same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, elephant. Elephant. Boom. Two out of yeah. five. Um, was it a goose? Duck, duck, no, goose. it was duck. No, but it's very chicken? similar. Was it chicken? Very, very oh, similar. Rooster? A little, a little more chilly. A penguin. A penguin. A penguin. Wow. I don't think I knew that penguins made noises. Like I don't think oh, I could terrifying. pinpoint that. 
Let me tell you something right now, Joe. Oh, they're terrifying, you, isn't if it? Hear, if you hear a penguin make that noise, you better kiss your ass goodbye. You, yeah, you better call your parents and say, I love you. I'll miss you. Oh, I, okay, I have heard this. Final two, dog and uh-huh. alligator. What kind of dog? Schnauzer? It just says dog. Okay. <laughs> cool. Uh, this whole scene plays out great. Uh, the, the kids go over the, there's a, the beat with the, they have to climb down the, the wire, the, 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 the car goes over the thing, Gennaro gets eaten, Dr. Malcolm gets smashed to the wall, and all hell breaks loose. Uh, Hammond, uh, let's see, uh, uh, Grant, Hammond asks Muldoon to go get his grandchildren, and Ellie decides to write shotgun, no pun intended, while Ray tells the old man they're screwed without Nedry, who just got stuck in the mud. He spots uh, the road that leads into the east dock and tries to use the cable winch on the uh, the front of the jeep, but it falls uh, and loses his glasses. But thankfully, a cute little Dalaposaurus finds it, and he goes, oh, you're not so bad. Maybe I'll give you a candy bar or something. Just wait. Just wait. Then he heads back to the car, and the dialogue chases after him. He's like, get out of here, little guy. You're so cute. You're the cutest little thing ever. Then the scene um, turns into the stuff of nightmares. When this damn thing, this is one of those where I was like, this was too much for a child to watch. Because this thing popping its fucking kite thing and, and the rattlesnake sound that goes with it as it hisses at you gave me nightmares for a very, very long time. So, of Nick, course here's the thing. All right. You, of course, infamously, a child of the 80s, right? We talk mm-hmm. about this a lot. We talk about the greatest fears, the things you got to look out for, which, of course, include quicksand and lasers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Being a child of the 90s, like, we got the remnants of that. But there was one thing that that really set the fear of God in me, and it was poison ivy. Mm-hmm. All right? The idea of poison ivy, Everywhere. you got to be careful. It's going to get you no matter what. Everywhere. There was something about this creature in this scene that when I was little, I, for some reason, always thought of him as, like, the living embodiment of poison ivy. I think it had to do with the poison he shot, just the look of him and all this stuff. The red, the yellow, yeah. Yeah, exactly, right? Like, all of that. And that was simultaneously the scariest thing in the world. But because it was scary, it was the coolest thing in the world. (laughs) This guy was always my favorite. I am team this guy. Dilophosaurus Rex. The thing that that I love the most um, about this sequence um, is that, We've all been there. We've all been walking through a fucking weird alley, like, as a kid. And you see a dog that's a little too big to trust. And, like, obviously, if Nedry sees a big T-Rex fucking later, I'm fucking mm-hmm. terrified, right? Mm-hmm. If you come across the little uh, little tiny ones uh, from mm-hmm. Jurassic Park 3, whatever, little tiny fucking thing. But, like... Uh, this dinosaur is a little too big to not feel threatened by. And, like, when he first sees it, he's like, oh, hey. <laughs> like, it's the same feeling I would get as a kid when you would, like, this isn't a chihuahua. This isn't a mm-hmm. fucking wolf. But, like, mm-hmm. this dog's a little too big for me to just be cool with. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, gotta be that, that same amount of fear of, like, okay, I'm just going to go over here. <laughs> like, it's so it's so relatable. I guess not everybody's just walked down a dangerous alley. I used to do that. No, I'm, I'm right there with no, you. I'm right there with you. If okay. I was a kid and I saw Moose, I'd be like, eh, whatever. But if I saw Cecil, I'd be like, hey, hey, let let him him yeah. yeah. Well, for sure, because this Dilophosaurus, like, when it perks its head up, is like, we're pretty much at eye level with him. That's terrifying. Yeah. And, of yeah. course, his, his fears are uh, 100% righteous because when he gets he gets spit in the eye by this stuff that's supposed to blind him and paralyze him and he wipes it out and he gets in his car and he goes oh i'm safe thank god and as he looks over the damn thing is just sitting in the passenger side seat with him and it pounces on him and he eats his face off and it's a gory horrible death 
Grant climbs a tree uh, to find Tim miraculously unscathed. This kid, by the way, you want to talk about someone who's unbreakable. This kid just fell fucking 400 stories in this car, and he's like, <laughs> I pooped my pants. That's the, that's the worst that happened. I vomited all over myself. I flew up. Do we also think the DNA falling from Nedry eventually turned into something? You know, that's a really good point. I know. Yeah. Because it's been so long since I've seen this movie that when that happened, I was like, wow, this thing is really lost. They immediately got covered by it, mud and shit. Like, how are they going to get it back? And then they don't. No. That. Do, I mean, do you think it ever became anything? No, like life finds a way. Uh, 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 like, the they, cooling they, agent was only like thirty six hours, hours, right? Hours, yeah. So mm-hmm. after that, the DNA would die, which spoils. Ah, uh, life finds a way, though, dude. It's very true. You think? So you think? So Andy, you see DNA as sort of like a plant seed, where as long as it goes into the ground, it'll grow a dinosaur. Is that kind of how you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put that shit in soil. Yeah, yeah. Just see what happens. Cool. Give us some good tree. sunlight. Yeah. Makes sense. That's science right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. They climb down the tree as, as the car chases after them. I don't remember this scene. Uh, but then uh, they survive to fight another day, another dinosaur. Ellie and Muldoon arrive on scene, but Alan, the kids are nowhere to be Oh, the car chasing them. after them. What you meant by that is when the car is falling. It's falling after them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was cool. Uh, Ellie and Muldoon arrive on scene, but Alan and the kids are nowhere to be found. They do, however, find tracks so they know they're alive. Then they find Gennaro spewing all over the place. I love this part. He goes, he goes, what did you find? He goes, I think, this is, I, think I found Gennaro. And then all the way on the other side of the hut, Ellie's like, yeah, me too. <laughs> He's just all over the place. <laughs> Thankfully, Dr. Ian Malcolm. Oh, we can add that to the list of terrible deaths. Terrifying death. Uh, that and the goat. Put the goat on there because the goat leg hitting the, the, the screen was pretty brutal. Oh, which oh, okay, death the is animal. the best? With, exactly. Which death is the best? Um, Thankfully, Dr. Ian Malcolm is alive, but Joey, I'm sad to say his buttons did not survive this Ugh. encounter. He is, of course, chest, sizzle chest out for the rest of this movie, and I'm not mad at it. They spot another car and climb down to investigate. Uh, they find a footprint. Yeah, yeah. Back on the track, Malcolm hears the telltale sign of the T-Rex coming back for round two, and we get another banger line. That would actually become Jeff Goldblum's call sign, which is, must go faster, as they're trying to outrun the dinosaur, which they do very easily, I want to say. T-Rex tops out about 35 miles an hour, so all he has to do is go about 35, and we good. Uh, Grant and the kids hear more scary dino sounds. They climb a tree for safety, and we get a really, really touching scene here with the bronchiosauruses, uh, where they were... Uh, Brachiosaurus, please. Brachios. Right. Get, get, get out of here, bro. Pluto's a planet, all right? Get, get out of here with your bird feathers on these dinosaurs. Um, Nick, Alan Grant would walk up to you and touch you all over and just be like, you're such a bitch. Show some respect. Yeah, I mean, listen, dude, listen. As far as I'm concerned, there's only fucking ten dinosaurs. They all have scales, and I had all ten of those. I had the toys of all of those things. (laughs) I had the toys of every species of dinosaur. There is a species of dinosaur Nick knew about it. I got to say, I got to say that, you know, obviously dinosaurs dope as hell always were, but like were especially cool in the 90s like what happened after Jurassic Park Mighty Morphin Power Rangers right like come the fuck on I've always and I'm sure you have too thought about this where I'm like all right, we have the five rangers right each Mm -hmm. one of them needs a dinosaur why are two of them not dinosaurs why is one the saber two tiger why is one the mastodon what the fuck are you doing what are you doing anyway very weird it's also those are also cool though I'm not mad no saber two tiger hell yeah a fucking hairy elephant yeah Fucking lame. It's big though. Nah, but they, they, that thing's eating grass and stuff. Like, uh, is it? Throwing some grass. Oh, let's I think they climb up the grass. I don't know. Um, let's see. Back at the back at the launch, Hammond eats ice cream because it's going bad. While his grandkids sleep in the tree with a strange man they just met mere hours earlier. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fucking weird. 
He's really bummed that Jurassic Park is a failure, but unlike his previous endeavor, Flea Circus, that was an illusion. He wanted this one to be real for people. Uh, creation is an act of sheer will. He says the next one will be flawless, to which Ellie fires back. He never had control. That was the illusion. The next morning, Alan and the kids feed a Vegasaurus, and it sneezes all over Lex, and some of it gets in her mouth. Uh, I was eating dinner during the scene, and now I can never eat green salsa from Trader Joe's again. Oh. Uh, on the way back, they stumble across some dinosaur eggs in the wild. Amphibian DNA. Ah, frogs' DNA used to be, was used to fill gaps in the DNA somehow. Uh, but some West African frog, I don't know how the hell Alan Grant knows this as a paleontologist, but he says some West African frogs have been known to spontaneously change sex from male to female in a single-sex environment. Malcolm was right. Life found a way. Uh, then so cool. God, so fucking cool. We get the absolute best shot in this whole film, which gave us, you want to talk about the, the most meme-worthy moment in this whole thing. It is the Jeff Goldblum sizzle chest, iconic one-shot, completely Perfect. unnecessary, unbelievably sweaty, and undeniably unnecessary. Hammond orders Ray to shut down the system, and they talk a little about the lighting contingency, which never comes back. Uh, then they restart the system, but nothing happens. It looks like uh, shutting it down tripped the circuit breakers, which, of course, are all the way in the maintenance shed on the other side of the compound. Uh, Ray decides to go. Uh, over and out with Alan Grant, they spot a herd of Gallimimuses or whatever running towards Gallimimus. Gallimimus. They're coming. What does he say? They're running this way, herding this way, they're hurting this way? They're herding toward us, yeah. Uh, so they hide under a big tree which and watch as the T-Rex makes quick work of one of them. It's a horrifying scene. These kids have seen some shit at this point and probably will be traumatized for the rest of their life. Uh, one little helicopter ride, probably not enough to, to erase the hours and hours and hours of dread these kids have had. Ellie gets impatient. Ray hasn't come back from the shed and turned the, the power still off. So Muldoon grabs his shoddy and they both head over. Hammond thinks he should go because Ellie's a woman, but she puts him in his place. And is like, we'll talk about your misogyny later. Uh, and then they walk past <laughs> the raptor cage and see it torn apart. At this point, I just go right back. I'm like, guys, we're waiting this out. We're staying in this bunker. Uh, the raptors have escaped. Uh, Ellie spots the shed and says, we can make it. Uh, and, and Muldoon says, no, we can't. And she says, why? And he we're goes, being because hunted. we're being hunted. Oh, man. And it's Holy not fuck. enough to send a shiver up your spine. I don't know what is. Uh, he makes Ellie run. He says, on the count of three, run and just book it toward the shed. She makes it there unscathed. Uh, again, doing a great job here, Laura, uh, Laura Dern, holding up her end of the bargain. Alan and the kids come to another massive electric fence. He tests the wire. Power is still off. Then he plays a very cool joke on children. Let me remind you, who have seen men die, they've, seen, they've almost been killed themselves. Tim fell down a fucking, like, 300-foot ga- a gap and fell into a tree and almost died five times, threw up all over himself. And Alan Grant's like, you know, it'd be hilarious <laughs> if I pretended like I'm getting shot to death. Wouldn't that be funny? Yeah. I laugh. What are you gonna do? Yeah, <laughs> we're bad people. We're bad. You have yeah. to find levity in your the situation. You well, it's also cute in, right? when when the, when the little tin kid is like, that was great. Yeah. Then they decide to climb over. Uh, the, the fence, uh, instead of letting the two 80-pound children just climb through the little spaces in the wire where, yeah, I know, the one he's like, oh, I can't climb through here. But if you look up, like, three rungs, there's a space, like, this big that the kids could have literally just squeezed through. Mm-hmm. But then yeah. it wouldn't get a cool scene. Uh, an alarm goes off. Now, Hammond talks Ellie through resetting the breakers, and it works. Uh, an alarm goes off on the fence. Uh, Tim still has to make it down. Ellie switches all of the systems back on. And for some strange reason, the perimeter fences are dead last. Probably the system, Andy, that I would have put right at eye level if we were resetting mm-hmm. everything. Probably yeah. the single most important system in this entire park. 
Put that one at top. Don't make me bend down for that one. But uh, also, set design for all of this is immaculate. And the, just the movie, when you really break down, like, where the characters are and how often they are switched what group they're in and what each group is doing. It's just such a nice rise of tension. And to have this moment now where the characters are separated the way that they are, different heroes having to work together and, like, doing the whole Star Wars thing of multi-planes of action, this is so damn great. And, like, you start to feel it where you're like, oh, man, you got to hurry, you got to hurry. Like, these mm-hmm. things, we need the thing on, but also the kid got to get off. It's mm-hmm. so good. Yeah. It's that classic cutting back and forth where you see it, the camera pans downward, like, jibs down, and you see that last little bit with perimeter fences and it's red and you're like oh shit someone's about to get shocked of course tim is last on the gate and as the 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 power spools back up tim gets just shocked the fuck off this wire and if i was a betting man andy i'd be like his heart is fried his this kid is. gets thrown 30 feet into the air from an electric shock and stands up looking like freaking just with his hair all exploded outward it's hilarious um uh, back in the raptor shed Actually, he doesn't even stand up. He's not breathing, so they're yeah. administering a, a, a mouth-to-mouth. Back in the shed, Raptor comes out of freaking nowhere and chases Ellie into Samuel L. Jackson's severed arm, R.I.P. Ray. She bolts back up the stairs and shuts the gate. Uh, which, which, by the way, I didn't know that was Samuel L. Jackson until, like, a, like five years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, mm-hmm. I just never put it together. I just thought yeah. he was another random dude. I don't know why. Well, she says, thank God, Ray. She says his name. She goes, oh, Ray, and then pulls it out, and it's his arm. But I think even then, I didn't even really ever find myself realizing Samuel Jackson's name was Ray in the movie. Maybe he's not. <laughs> he's why. still used to SLJ, SLJ. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We've always called him Nick SLJ Gary. our whole lives, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, she lo- the important note here, by the way, she locks this thing in, right? And at the end, I think, oh, we're only going to see two raptors. This damn thing makes it out. It gets out of this thing. It opens the door. Uh, she bolts back upstairs, shuts the gate, crumbles to the ground from the stress of the situation. Great performance here by Laura Dern. Muldoon gets a beat on Mala Raptor, but, but uh, Andy, is she a dumb girl or a clever girl? What a moment, dude. Clever, clever girl. girl. As this thing oh, comes man. out, just flanks him and just tears him apart. It's uh, so good. Because this is one of those moments where they set it up earlier, so we know it's going to get a payoff at some point. Mm-hmm. But... As it's happening and you put it together, you see the Raptors going around. We like this hunter guy. Like we we're rooting for him. We kinda we're like, you're kind of a badass. Like I want you to survive. But as you start seeing it happen, you as the audience are just like All right, Raptors, gotta give it up. Fuck him up. Fuck him up. (laughs) But even as even as the hunter, the hunter's like, hey, game respect game, bro. Like, yeah. I, yeah. I'm going to give it up Clever to you because you put up 44 points and 17 rebounds. I got the good-ass game from you, Clever game. Girl. GG's, GG's. Yeah. Uh, Alan resuscitates Timmy, and they make it back to the launch. Alan heads outside and yells for Ellie, and she spots him. Uh, and as she, she sees him, she, you're thinking, oh, she's going to say I'm over here. But no, instead she yells back, Run. Another fucking horrifying moment. Inside, the kids help themselves to the buffet. Lex freezes dead in her jello, and she spots the silhouette of a raptor behind Timmy. It tracks them into the What kitchen. another great shot. Great yeah. The jello shaking. And then you want to talk about great sound design here, Tim. Uh, the raptor caws. He goes, he goes <laughs> and the other raptor joins her right by her side. And I got to say, this is wildly different sound. <laughs> I'm not right, quite sure who. Who is called the raptor? Yeah. It's like, I wrote it down phonetically. No, but they they make like a cool, 
skull sound. Yeah, they like they cool. like fucking like make a weird fucking noise. Uh, okay. I'm gonna need Cameron Kennedy to, to combine both Andy and I's sounds to make the perfect raptor sound. Thank you very much. <laughs> and they and also they, the, I'm not paying you for that. Like they're weird screeching sounds. Yeah, put a penguin <laughs> in there. Uh, let's see. Lex locks herself in a cabin, or at least she tries to, knocking one of the raptors out in her reflection. Tim bolts and stumbles in the slippery freezer, which somehow results in them locking one of the raptors in. Uh, the tension is they're sneaking through all of those like little uh, not alleyways but like the little hallway or, i don't know mm-hmm. aisles i guess it's probably yeah. corridors yeah yeah it's so good and like the reflections and the, the reflection they, man we don't mm-hmm. like all time sequence uh, you didn't need to go that hard we were yeah. already sold this was already incredible and then for them to do that it's just like i had to pause the movie i had to pause i had to take a break mm-hmm. uh the thing that gets me too is the is is the way they're when when tim hits the uh, spoons the ladles and have to stop them for a second. There's that, and then the other thing that gives me tremendous anxiety is when the scene starts. They run around and they hide on one of the sides of it, and but the the, 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 the bulge, the, yeah, the feel bulge goes boom, 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 and it's super loud. I'm like, don't lean against the fucking thing, kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I guess like, these raptors aren't that smart. They can't fucking tell a reflection from a real thing, idiots. I mean, they've never <laughs> seen a reflection before. Now they've learned their learning systems. Uh, the other one comes in and chases them into the control room. Alan and Ellie, t- uh, Alan tells Ellie to reboot the door locks, and as he looks back through the window, a raptor's just fucking there, like, staring at him, like, surprise. Uh, thankfully, Lex knows Unix, which is weird, because in 1993, I didn't know what Unix was. Oh, I know Unix. Yeah, they set it up, camp. They Did set they? it up perfectly. Oh, yeah, earlier in the movie, they're like, Timmy was making fun of her. He's like, I'm not a nerd. You're a nerd. You just sit in your computer all day, doing God knows what, watching all that nasty stuff. Dude, and, and he was like, and she goes, it's called hacking. I'm not a nerd yeah. or for yeah. <laughs> She's hacking into NORAD to launch nukes. Like, it's set up perfectly, yeah. And she's like, it's a Unix system. Let me I tell you about this Unix system, though. I don't know a lot about Unix systems, but the UI for this thing is the single least effective thing I've ever seen in my entire life. It takes, like, forever <laughs> to scroll over from file to file. It's cool, sure though, man. Way. It's so yeah. cool. The fact that it was, like, in a built-in a 3D space is so inefficient. Like, just give us so a full structure. She reboots the door locks as Alan manages to shut the raptor out. Grant calls Hammond and tells him the phones are working. Call the mainland. Tell them to send helicopters. Uh, the raptors come through the glass, and Grant can't shoot for shit, so they head up to the drop ceiling where the aliens got into that one room in the movie Aliens. Uh, the raptor pops his head up like a damn jack-in-the-box, and Lex almost falls to her death, but they catch her and save her at the last minute. Then they head Another out. great shot of Another her just shot. up top in the... Uh. And she's just, like, riding a the little... The tension bit. of this... I've seen this a million times, but I'm still so stressed out by the entire last 30-minute sequence specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, of course, wind up on the T-Rex bones, and when the raptor jumps down, it all breaks apart, and they're all spinning and trying to do this and that. And then they fall to the ground and come face-to-face with another raptor and get surrounded by them. But right before the second raptor is about to pounce, good old T-Rex, who apparently was just chilling outside, waiting for the right time to come in. Here's the commotion, and he's, and he's hungry, man. So he comes in and he eats one of the raptors. The other one, of course, seeing uh, a predator that he has to deal with, jumps on his back and scratches him. Very important scratches the T-Rex's back. Uh, then the T-Rex grabs him, throws him through the freaking dinosaur bones, and just owns his ass as the banner for Jurassic Park comes sprinkling down and falling to the floor in front of him. Another iconic movie this fucking perfect. magic. This, perfect. my friends, is the best moment of the movie. I know I've said it before, but oh my god. I love that they're just like, alright, cool. Let's. What is Jurassic Park at the end of the day? Is it a awe-inspiring movie? Is it a horror movie? Is it a little bit of both? Is it blah, 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 blah? At the end of the day, the T-Rex gets the hero shot. It's about the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. And this moment is what 
sells that entirely. The humans are just there. The T-Rex came to fuck up those raptors, and all of a sudden, the thing that we were scared of the entire movie, we are cheering for. How cool is that? That is power. That is wrestling at its best. When all of a sudden, the heel beats the good guys, and then the heel beats the batter guys, and you're like, this, I'm cheering for this bad guy. It's the best. And the USA uh, logo pops up to him, and it's like, oh, it's over. Money yeah. that raws over, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Alan, Ellie, and the kids get picked up by Hammond outside, and as they do so, Alan says, Mr. Hammond, after careful consideration, I've decided not to endorse your park, <laughs> to which Hammond replies, so have I. Uh, T-Rex owns the final raptor. The banner falls. Grant, Alan, Ellie, Hammond, and Malcolm, the kids, uh, make it to the helicopter. But before they take off, Hammond stops to take one last look at the living nightmare that is Jurassic Park. On the play ride home, the kids once again fall asleep, nuzzle up to Alan, and he locks eyes with Ellie. Ellie takes a picture with her eyes, like my wife tells me to do, instead of actually bothering her on our vacations by taking a real picture, and we see a flock of normal, non-dinosaur birds flying into the sunset. The end. And they never made another movie. Nope. That was perfect. That was yeah, it. Lightning in the bottle. Lightning in the bottle. I hope you guys yeah, enjoyed yeah. Jurassic Park in review. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> Number one. Yeah. Uh, and hit me with haiku in review, please. Seven syllables in the middle. You need five for the first and last line. If it's not poetic, no need to fret it. Haikus don't need to rhyme. Haiku in review. Haiku in review. You can go to patreon.com slash kind of funny to write your review in haiku form. Just like Mr. Pedro Rocks 01 did. Life uh, finds a way. Uh, uh. Truer words never spoken. Five films and counting. <laughs> uh, Joe Merton says, hold on to your butts. It's stupid, sexy Malcolm. Is that on the tour? <laughs> and then, of course, Miscellaneous writes in with the plot in haiku. Hammond cuts the checks. Expert comes, inspects subjects. You've got a T-Rex? Ah. From the tour, they stray. The cloning lab. Then they survey. Life. Uh Finds a way. <laughs> Nedry's right. got no sense. Control was a false pretense. We spared no expense. Wow. Wrap the page in shreds. They hunt down these three bipeds. Clever girl, he says. They have become prey, but before raptors can slay, T-Rex saves the day. Miscellaneous. Oh, oh, God. So good. Always love it. Uh, let's do Ragu Bagu. Ragu. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Rad Guys Talk. Bad Guys here for Jurassic Park in review. I guess um, this is another one of those weird asterisk ones where I, I would argue there's not too many bad people in this, but I guess you could put Nedry and Human Greed or I mean, Scientific I, Innovation on this one. What do you want to do? I or do you want to put Nedry in him? Yeah, I think it's I think it's Nedry. Like I don't think yeah. that there this is one of those examples of like there's not a bad guy. He's just a bad guy. He's stealing well, think, the tech for Hammond's yeah, like adversary. I just, I just think when I think bad guys, I think of like a direct adversary for the protagonist of this movie. But Nedry is just kind of like he just I guess he did. He is kind of the bad guy. So we'll put him in number one. Sabotaging the locks and all that yeah. shit. Yeah. Like, the saboteur. Not necessarily in hopes that it kills people, but to like further his game, you know. You know what the you know what the biggest like the biggest saddest thing he did though, like the, the worst thing he did this whole movie, was that he never came back with those salty snacks. Oh, so sad, dude. That's that's yeah. the biggest heartbreaker. <laughs> Took me a long time to um, put that bad joke up. 
<laughs> obviously, obviously, we're going to to rank Jurassic Park as number one because there's nothing to, to even go off yet. Um, but I did want to get Greg Miller's very brief but important. I also have the dinosaur death list. Oh, we oh we'll get to that, Joe. Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not fret, Mona. Me. Um, Greg Miller says, I think Jurassic Park is one of those perfect movies, and I'll never forget going to see it as part of Mike Boylan's birthday. I'm sure we'll hear more from him later when it comes to Jurassic Park next week when he comes here. But I, I would like to introduce a new segment, a new podcast, and then a podcast inspired by one Joey Noel. Um, I'm going to call it Dino Soars because they make people oh. sore. Okay. 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 Oh, okay. Dino I don't yeah, thank love you. That. Dino S-O-R-E, but I do want the colon, like the subtitle. So Dinosaurs, uh-huh. which death is the best, okay? <laughs> we got it again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Fixed it. Which it was, there was death a crap is you, you the best? Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. So, Joey, what do we got? What do we got here? We have we have a few. We have the beginning goat, or the cage man that gets pulled through with the really bad arm hold. Yeah. Then we have the goat leg death, which Nick just requested. Mm-hmm. Terrifying. Just the just that particular goat and mm-hmm. the leg that mm-hmm. fell on the thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Not on the other. Nick knows the goat in real life. He's just vouching for him. Okay. Uh, then we have. <laughs> Why did that get us? <sighs> Why? Because you're all on my level now. You're all on my level. <laughs> And please play the ham and gif. I really hate that. (laughs) Uh, We have the Gennaro bathroom death. Not pooping. Uh, We have Nedry and the Dilophosaurus. Samuel Jackson and the raptor, which happens off screen, but we can imagine if you get your arm torn off, it's not great. Uh, Muldoon and the raptors. And then T-Rex murdering the raptors at the end, I feel like should also be included. I say for this segment, we choose just the one, one death I for the movie, and then we can rank it against the other movies as they go. I gotta give it, and I'm biased, but I gotta give it to the Nedry death. And I think it's just an iconic oh, dinosaur, terrifying. great buildup, everything about it's so good. But I think one of my favorite aspects about it is how surprising the end is. Mm-hmm. Like we knew he was gonna die. I didn't expect him to pop up in the car, you know. And I just mm-hmm. feel like it was just like a, that one last little element at the end of it. And I'm like. Damn, they got me even one step further than I expected. And that would be my vote. The scream, very visceral. Like, you could tell he went all out in that ADR room. Mm -hmm. And that's just very, like, "Ah!" Like, that's a very, like, I am terrified right now kind of vibe. And there is something to be said about the shot where they pull away and they just show the car and all you see is the shadows. And, like, sometimes the things that you don't see are scarier Mm -hmm. than the things that you do. So I would agree with that. Yeah. I'll, I'll concur. Unanimous. Okay. That that part was terrifying. I mean, well done. Add it to the list. Cool. There Add we go. The there we go. Add death was um, the best. Death was the best, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us for the first ever uh, first ever episode of Jurassic Park in review. Next week, we will return with the Lost World of Jurassic Park, uh, and Greg Miller will be a part of that. So that is very Vince exciting Bond, stuff. Baby. Oh, dude, I, I got to say, I'm so excited yeah. to watch this one because I also haven't seen it in a long time. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that people say it's horrible, but as a kid, there was nothing cooler 
than the the van over the the mountainside situation. Mm. So. Well, so we'll see. We'll see. Will it be number one? I don't know, everybody. We'll have to wait till next week to find out. Yeah. But until then, thank you so much for hanging out. If you want to watch more fun content, youtube.com slash kindoffunny. We just posted our Sonic the Hedgehog 2 review. You can check that out as well as a whole bunch of other really cool stuff like our Moon Knight review. But until next week, Andy. Good, good Bilophosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> What's up there? Welcome back to another kind of funny in-review rewatch. This time we are doing Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Of course, I'm Tim Geddes, and I'm joined by Pixel Circus's own Sage Ryan. Oh, hello. My greatest nightmare is exactly the line, make ten men feel like a hundred. Yeah, yeah. I had a feeling that that was going to resonate with you in a particularly icky way. Uh, we also have the saddest boy that I know personally, Barrett Courtney. What is she proposing? <laughs> Let the girl speak. <laughs> <laughs> and rounded out our group today for what is sure to be an all-timer, the one and only Anthony Carboni. What's up, everybody? You know, the strongest stars have hearts made of kyber. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I feel like this crew is the strongest crew to review this film. It is. I know. It is. I know we're all going to have a great time reviewing this film, Rogue One, everyone's favorite Star Wars story here on this panel. <laughs> I cannot believe that after all of these years, everybody, here I am, just young, innocent Tim Geddes, okay? I'm out here on these streets just trying to get by, just trying to do my thing. I have to do a full in-review series with a bunch of buffoons. You know, sometimes they get it right, sometimes they get it wrong, but it was all—it was just that—it was a disaster. And here I am, the lone wolf, still doing this damn stuff. Everyone else was like, "I'm done with Star Wars." They're all fucking gone. I get a new crew. I get this beautiful team here. I assembled it over the course of two hours, just like this movie does. And we have this beautiful squad together, right? And I'm like, oh, I can't wait to talk about this movie that I enjoy so much. And then the uh, the cracks start to show, and I start realizing, oh wait. Barrett Courtney is not alone, and I'm about to have to do a rewatch and talk about this movie with hey, people Tim? that don't like it. Hey, I Tim? enjoy the film. Hey, who, who at this table dislikes nine out of ten Star Wars we watch? Who might it be? That's what might I'm saying. Might it be you, Tim? That's might it be I'm you, saying. Tim? Maybe. That's what I'm saying. Maybe you're the crazy one here, Tim. It's so maybe. Hard to be too maybe. Little Tim. Maybe taste how it feels. Maybe taste how it feels. <laughs> I enjoy this film, Tim. I, I can't wait to talk to you about this carbon. I can't wait to talk about everybody. That's the whole fun of this show in review, where we rank, review, and recap different movie franchises. Of course, sometimes we do rewatches of those uh, when it makes sense. And right now, it makes sense because Star Wars Andor is coming out each and every week. And we, this beautiful crew right here, is going to be reacting to those and giving our thoughts over on the Kind of Funny screencast. But this is in review, where we rank, review, and recap different movie franchises every week on YouTube.com slash kind of funny or roosterteeth.com you can get it as a podcast by searching your favorite podcast service for kind of funny in review and we'll be right there for you if you wanted to get the show ad free and watch live as we record it you got to go to patreon.com slash kind of funny just like our patreon producers molecule and fargo brady have done today we're brought to you by 
Chime, and NZXT Gaming Monitors, but I'll tell you about that later. Let's get into it. Rogue One, a Star Wars story, released on December 16, 2016, with a runtime of 2 hours and 14 minutes. It was directed by Gareth Edwards. Uh, who previously directed the Godzilla movie in 2014. We like to say that he directed Monster. And he directed Monster as well. We like to say that he directed Monster. Monster. Led to Godzilla. Here we are. Uh, Music by the GOAT, Michael Giacchino, who we will be... Is there a movie he has not uh, done music What I'm saying... He's just too good. He's too powerful. You go to Disneyland, and it's just Michael Giacchino music everywhere, whether it's Pixar, Star Wars, or Marvel. The IRS says that if your movie costs over a certain amount of money, it's compulsory that you have Michael Giacchino do your score. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you want to get the tax breaks associated with making a film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it makes sense. And then uh, over time, they give you your own project. Next mm-hmm. week for in review, we're going to be doing Werewolf by Night. I couldn't be more excited. That's Michael Giacchino's directorial debut. I'm so excited. So let's go. Very cool. Um, this one had a budget of $265 million and a box office of a cool $1.085 billion. Did fine. Wow. It did fine. It did fine. Um, let's start with one, Sage Ryan. What did you think of Star Wars Rogue One? Okay. So I had not seen Rogue One since it came out. I watched it the first time, and I said, that's quite enough. Um, and it was perfectly fine. I don't hate the movie. I just enjoy almost all other Star Wars more, so I, there's so much Star Wars for me to watch. If I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch a Star Wars, I'm going to watch one of the ones that, like, does the thing to my heart that Star Wars is supposed to do, that Rogue One has just never done for me. Upon this rewatch, I will admit I liked it better than the first time. I had a more enjoyable experience, and maybe that's because there's so much more Star Wars media that it's not about this, like, one-to-one direct comparison anymore that I think Rogue One had for me as it was coming up with these new sequels, and we had these other cast of leading characters that were coming forward, um, and a lot of people were also hating that new cast of characters. They were hating Rey, and they were hating all of these things. They were hating Kylo as a villain, and I love those characters so much that I think the comparison also might have killed it because I was so, like, attached to defending this new generation of characters that people would not get on board for in the beginning. So it was a choose at the time, and now that I don't feel like I have to choose, I think the film is fine. There we go. Carbone, what about you? Uh, I enjoy this movie. I enjoyed it when it came out. I enjoy it now. Uh, I think it did a lot of things for... Changing things tonally for Star Wars and getting us to the point that we're at now where we can be a little bit more flexible with what Star Wars is. Uh, I love the idea of doing a classic a classic war movie in the Star Wars universe. You know, we had talked about how we had never seen really a lot of boots on the ground before this, and so it was nice to see sort of that and the scrappy rebellion coming together and all of this stuff was, was very nice to see. Uh, and upon rewatching it, I really did. I... I I liked it just I liked it just as much as I did beforehand. Uh but it did make me think like it's interesting that the first series we're getting about a character from this show is Cassian because I love so many of the characters from this from this film and all I was really thinking the whole way through is like I hope some of these other characters get the same treatment that Cassian's getting because there are so many cool characters that we did not get to dive deep into in this film. Uh, but I loved it. Barrett Courtney. 
We've talked about it time and time again because I was I was partially a part of the original Star Wars Rogue One uh, uh, in review when we did it uh, back in the uh, 2019 studio tent, if you remember, way back mm-hmm. when. Um, so I've talked about this before, but I had the unfortunate uh, timing where at the time I would go home uh, around the holidays to go hang out with family, and a lot of my family's into a good old Star War, right? And just how it kind of happened to turn out where, you know, I had different groups of people who wanted to go see the new Star War with me, uh, in particular Star War Rogue One, and I saw Rogue One three times in one week, and because of that, I uh, overanalyzed the absolute shit out of it, and even on first watch, fell asleep uh, uh, asleep in that uh, second act, and I fell asleep in that second act every single time I saw that in theaters. Um, so, yeah, I overanalyzed this a lot. I've thought about this a lot. Uh, we talked about it in our uh, Andor uh, kind of watch, I think, on the, the first episode, covering the first three episodes, that Andor is less plot and more character, and I think when you have something like Rogue One, that's what I want, and Rogue One, unfortunately, as a movie, is more plot and less character, but the kind of the point of Rogue One is to get you into these characters that are boots on the ground. Like, I, I won't deny what Carboni's bringing up of, like, the kind of opening the floodgates of bringing in more of this uh, darker tone for Star Wars, opening up to getting series like Andor. And, uh, yeah, I think rewatching it, it cemented for me that what I've been saying for years Story-wise, I think everything this movie screams at me is that it should have been a series. I do understand that at the time, they didn't have a Disney Plus. They didn't, like, uh, other than, you know, Disney XD, uh, which is where they were putting up Star Wars Rebels. Like, they didn't have really a platform to do that. Um, I I like the premise of this movie a lot. I I think it's a disservice to it that we got – it's a two-hour movie. And I think because of that, a lot of character arcs are wrapped up in the first hour, which is – insane to me because it's a it's a team the like rewatching it you're like oh Risen Men is barely a character in this movie like oh right like but he's part of the team but uh, okay um and so they wrapped they try to like bring up these really cool uh character arcs but then they have to wrap them up within an hour because the last hour of the movie is the third act uh on Scarif and stuff so um mm. it frustrates me I've said it a lot before Star Wars Rogue One is the Halo Reach of the Star Wars universe. Halo Reach had the advantage of being a nine-hour game where you kind of know and understand that all of these characters that you're either playing as or uh, playing along with are going to die because of, you know, the implications of Halo 1. But you get enough time to fall in love with these characters and learn about them that you kind of forget about that. And then the first death on that team is not even the final mission where you, like, uh, where everybody is, like, uh, uh, you know, doing the final stand on reach. It comes out of nowhere, and it's this shock where you're, like, kind of pulled out where you're like, oh, yeah, everybody's got to die. When you do that in a two-hour movie, that's always on your mind, so you don't get time to really, like, forget about that and just have a moment with falling in love with these characters in two hours, you're always think, just thinking like, all right, well, they're, they're dying in an hour and a half. Cool. So that's uh, we'll get into it more specifics, but those are still my general thoughts on this. Aaron, I want you to know that I fell asleep at the same point last night. 
Tim, what about it's, you? It's such a short second act, too, and I don't know how they make me fall asleep in it every I time. I fell asleep Tim. at the same point last night. Tim. I have yes, never Tim, fallen asleep during a single moment of this movie. I love this movie. I do not think it's perfect. I do not think it's the best Star Wars, but I think that it does some of Star Wars better than any other Star Wars has ever done. I think that it is more plot-heavy than character-heavy, um, and I do think that's a disservice to this movie in particular because of the way that they've set up the characters. And I think that the more egregious flaw of this film isn't so much I wish we had more time with these characters. I wish they did different things with the time they were given. There are certain scenes in this movie that I like, that, like the whole memory monster situation. It's bad. It's really bad. No. And, and, like, it's funny, and it's going to be fun to talk about. But it's like it. the setup to get there was just not worth the end result, which meant that we got less time with these characters. And I think that, to Barrett's point, Riz Ahmed's character is barely a character, and that was kind of the thing he did the most, <laughs> was be involved with that scene. Uh, which I thought was or a gullet lander in my house. <laughs> You're going to get a little of it. You're going to get a little of yeah, it. You're going to get a lot of praise for, like, I love the the space fight in this, I think, is up there with the best of them that we've ever had. I love how long it is. I love how involved it is with the multi kind of sections of, like, the different strategies of crashing it into the shield, like, breaking it all down so that the people on the ground floor can do things. I love it. I thought it was expertly done. And it's just as unfortunate because the way that the film ends and, like, the character choices and, like, the big epic sacrifices in the moment where, like, one by one the entire team dying, I think is done immaculately. I think it's so well well done. It is exciting. It is emotional. But I, I the moment you start thinking about it, it's like, well, why do I care about these characters? And they don't really give you many good reasons to. But I think at the end of it, they do a good job of making me care in the moment that it matters most. So it is mm-hmm. this weird thing where it's like, yes, if this was a series that allowed us to kind of get deeper into these characters and care more about all of them and made some wiser choices, the end would feel even better. But I think that that stuff doesn't take down the overall experience to me of what Rogue One is, uh, which I think is a excellent look at how do we handle something people have thought about from Star Wars for a long time. Um, and granted, this is even a different time we're talking about. This is the second Disney film that we got from Star Wars. And at that, at this point in time, we had only had pure goodness with the revival of Star Wars. It was like people are stoked that Rogue One's coming back. People are stoked about everything. It's like we didn't get Last Jedi yet, right? Like the world was not split in two. And everyone's kind of like, all right, we like Star Wars. That's kind of the assumption. And for this to come out, I think that they did a good job of uh, balancing. And I, people might disagree with me about this. They will. But I like how much fan service there's in this, how much Easter egg stuff giving us the Vader hallway scene, like, it's an all-time fucking great. And I know people can look and be like, eh, I would rather people just talk all the time and not have action stuff. It's like, cool. I like that, too, but I also like Darth Vader with the fucking light thing. I, 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 I like action. I like action, yeah, but not, but not <laughs> when it... said that to you? No, I, dude, I, I like action, but I like action that doesn't belittle the rest of the actual cast of this movie that this movie is about. Uh, the last thing I want to say that I have in my notes here at the, the very top alongside my Andor note is the, the story of this movie had the potential to be as deep and, and beautiful as its visuals uh, are, but it is so frustratingly surface level. Oh. Visually, I think this is still top-notch. There's so many oh, shots in here that we're going to talk about. It's just like, holy shit, that's insane. That's so cool. And I don't think they've really done uh, against it. Yeah. 
So there you go. All Those right. are our thoughts. We're about to get into the plot. We're about to do it all. But before we do that, here's a word from our sponsors. Shout out to NZXT Canvas Gaming Monitors. We are huge fans of NZXT here at Kind of Funny. And I got to say, these monitors, they're Andy Cortez approved, Kevin Coelho approved, and Tim Gettys approved because of their sweet 1440p resolution with 165 hertz refresh rate and one millisecond response. It's the sweet spot for gamers due to the balance of picture and performance. They're available in 27-inch and 32-inch curved displays. Variable refresh rate support for all of the major GPUs. They provide an excellent gaming experience for any game genre. You can get the monitor just alone, you can get it with a stand, or you can get it with some pretty cool mounts. This built-in software support with NZXT cams lets you control all your monitor settings directly on your PC. No need to mess with the clunky hardware menus to lock in your desired settings. They thought of it all. It's sold exclusively on NZXT.com. You can learn more about the NZXT Canvas gaming monitors at NZXT.co slash kindoffunny that's nzxt.co slash kinda funny. Shout out to Chime for sponsoring this episode. What's the first thing you do when you wake up? Is it checking up on your credit score? I don't think so. At Chime, that's exactly what they do. With a secured Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card, you can start to build credit with your own money. All of this with no annual fees, large security deposits, or credit checks to apply. You can start your credit journey with Chime. Sign up takes only two minutes and doesn't affect your credit score. You can get started at Chime.com slash KF Games. That's Chime.com slash KF Games. The Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card is issued by Stride Bank NA pursuant to a license from Visa USA Chime checking account and $200 qualifying direct deposit required to apply for the secured Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card. Regular on-time payment history can have a positive impact on your credit score. Impact to score may vary and some user scores may not improve. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply except at MoneyPass ATMs in the 7-Eleven or any all-point or Visa Plus Alliance ATM. Get your credit journey started with Chime. Sign up takes only two minutes. Doesn't affect your credit score. Get started at Chime.com slash KF Games. And now that we're back, Carboni, it is on you to hit us with the plot of Roblox. The plot. The story. The story given to us by Gundog's own mm-hmm. Gary Witta. Mm-hmm. And, of the course, dope. John John Knoll, creator of Photoshop. And then screenplay by uh, Tony Gilroy, who is now showrunning on Andor, and Chris White. Uh, we open on a long, long time ago, but hey, we ain't got no crawl. This is where this movie starts thinking, what, what does a Star Wars movie look like if it's not part of the main Skywalker saga? And I think some of the style guide stuff that's been changed here is very interesting, and I remember watching and seeing No Crawl in the beginning of this movie and thinking it was so weird, but also so dope, and, like, immediately getting, like, location, like, cards for planets. Like, it just, just the way it was just changing the Star Wars style guide was really great. By the way, Gary Witta says, not only did he write a crawl for this film, he wrote two crawls for this film. Uh, before they decided that these movies would be crawlless. Isn't that I interesting? Love, I, it really is. And I love that not only was it crawlless, it starts off with that alarming ass, like, just sound, like the, really? the rising string. Like, <laughs> and you're in space. It's so alarming. It's like, motherfuckers, we're different. But I also love that they had the balls to 
20 minutes later, actually do a, like, the Rogue One, like, title splash with, like, the heroic Star Wars music. Yes. And I was like, y'all got to do both. You had your cake and ate it, too. Good for you, Rogue One. Um, so we start as uh, all good Star Wars start on Iceland. And we've got Jin uh, running from uh, running from a ship that she sees. We see her parents calling Saw Gerrera, uh, who will, of course, come back later and was introduced in the Clone Wars. Um, and we see that her family is in hiding. Uh, her father, Galen, says, hey, just remember, whatever I do, I do it to protect you. Tell me you understand. And she says, I understand. Uh, Lies. He lies. She lies. (laughs) She lies, yeah. Because I understand. She does not. She does not understand. The whole movie is about her not understanding. Um, (laughs) uh, He says, I love you, Stardust. And we see Krennic and the Death Troopers. I love Death Troopers. Death Troopers are dope. But even before they get on the planet, the shot, it's a very Star Trek-y shot, uh, specifically like the new Star Trek movies, where you see their ship coming through the kind of like uh, asteroid ring. That or mm-hmm. that shot alone, I immediately put it on my notes of like the cinematography in here is just some of the best and just what mm-hmm. they pull off here. But also the Death Troopers are sick as hell. Yeah, uh, cinematography, of course, by Greg Frazier, um, who is absolutely amazing. And they used a lot of new technology on this movie. Uh, this was the first movie where uh, this is pre-volume, obviously. They don't have any of the LED stuff that we have now. But what they did use for Gareth and, uh, and Greg was uh, iPads in a room that had AR positioning. And they would set up ships and planets, and they would move this iPad through and tell the animators, okay, we want to move this here. We want this shot to come in like this. And so they would previs everything, which becomes much more important when we get into these battle scenes. But you can really see how that changed the way just starships appear in this movie and the way camera camera angles work in space. It's, it's really amazing. Uh, I love Krennic and I love the Death Troopers. I like that the Death Troopers are human, but they, whenever they speak, it's like this squelch you can't understand. It's very frightening. Uh, and I like Krennic because he's an asshole. Krennic oh, rules yeah, so George, hard. Ben Mendelsohn, such a good antagonist. And I have a follow-up note later about Ben Mendelsohn that'll tie back to this. But right now, he's such a good <laughs> antagonist. <laughs> it's so, like, just his, he's got that sassy chef's kiss. I'm a sassy bitch, and I'm yeah. in charge here. And like, oh, yeah, oh, I'm so sorry, your wife died. Oh, look, she's back from the dead. What a surprise. Yeah. Oh, oh, I, I love, love that bit. It's like, you know oh, that. it's lonely, I imagine. Oh, I just, oh, it's so good, that whole bit. Um... And, of course, uh, Lyra and Galen do not want to go back. Uh, Galen, you know, he says you'll all live in comfort. Lyra says as hostages. And he says as heroes of the Empire, you're going to live a great life. Uh, Jin's watching from the from the high grass mm-hmm. as all of this is going down. And uh, Galen, Galen, I'm not going to say that Galen isn't a brave guy. But I'm going to say that Lyra is definitely the braver one of the two. And we see this throughout Galen's entire life, where Lyra just refuses to back down. She refuses to lower the blaster. About, about Lyra, is it a wig? I don't know. <laughs> Wigging out without Scarpino. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the second episode of Wigging Out Without Scarpino uh, here on Star Wars Content. My name is Barry Courtney. I'm joined by Tim Geddes, Sage Ryan, and Anthony Carboni. Is, that's a wig. That's like a really bad wig, right, for Lyra? 
do we think Celine Kane was wearing a wig there, Stage? I don't know why, but yes. I mean, looking at these pictures, I, I'm going to guarantee it. This is a Why is a wig? But I also don't understand, because here's the thing. They didn't Star figure Wars out Harry. the technology yet, like they did in Andor, right. you know? But, like, Star Wars Harry's a thing, right? Especially for femme-presenting people in Star Wars. The styles and the designs and the expectations of the galaxy and the culture that they set in place, it communicates something when you see people's hair in Star Wars and something right. that they use to tell stories on the women in particular. You think of Amidala, right? You think of the classic Leia buns and how iconic these things are. Uh, she is giving The Shining for no apparent reason. Yes. She does have the shining hair. It's specifically the shining hair. She does have the Shelley Duvall hair. And I'm wondering, <laughs> like, I'm wondering, like, in the movie, I wasn't paying as much attention to it. And mm-hmm. I thought, eh, maybe it's just, like, maybe it's just dirty hair. Maybe they just wanted her to have dirty, greasy hair. But now that I'm looking at it, particularly, like, even in her, uh, even in her production stills, it do look like a wig, which is interesting because... That's not hair you need a wig for. She doesn't no. have multiple looks in the film. Right. She doesn't reappear with different hair. <laughs> and she just has kind of like long, dark hair. I don't get it. And I don't know. I mean, there's always the possibility that if she was shooting something else and she needed to be blonde at the same time. So that's why they did it. Um, but also, <laughs> it shouldn't be If you're shooting hard. something else. At the same Star time, Wars. you're shooting and Star Wars. Star Wars. Isn't taking the priority. Yeah. Disney says we don't care what else you're shooting. Cut your hair. That's the thing. It's like the the bangs are supposed to be wispy because they're like greasy. I get it. They're a dirty little family. Um, <laughs> but like, it looks like there's a total of four hairs on the bangs, which looks like a cheap Amazon wig. Well, and it's weird because Galen Galen is wearing a wig. It looks great. And Galen's wig looks pretty good. And honestly, it makes him look like, I'm going to say like five times hotter. He looks, he looks great with that hair. Yeah, look anyway, she dies. I she gets shot. It. Yeah, she hella dies. She gets shot and she dies. Um, <laughs> so, super uh, dead. Super dead. Uh, Krennic's line here, they have a child, find it. Not find her. Mm-hmm. He knows this kid. He's worked with Galen for years. We see a flashback. You're right. Yeah. Orson Krennic is a, ugh, ugh. Uh, but Jin does not get caught because she knows where to go. Her mother ta- her mother was like, do you remember where to go? And the answer is, you go into the dirty little hole from Lost. Until, dirty little family. Dirty little family goes into a dirty little hole until Saw Gerrera opens up the hole and goes, let's go. We got a long ride ahead of us, kid. Star Wars. Rogue One. Okay, I've got a lot of opinions. I think this scene shouldn't have happened, this whole intro sequence. I think this whole intro sequence shouldn't have happened. Although I think it's an enjoyable scene to watch, I think it benefits the movie zero. I think, A, first of all, it's a Star Wars pattern that we recognize, right? You have to acknowledge why the main character is the most special boy in the galaxy and why they got orphaned. That's the Star Wars pattern. They have to be an orphan, and they do have to be, unfortunately, the most special boy in the galaxy. And at this time, that's Jyn Erso. But think about it this. We open instead. On Jin or so in a prison cell. We know we're doing a Suicide Squad assembly at some point, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But we don't know the actual motivations of her father as she is sitting here like, I don't know, man. I haven't seen him in 15 years. I don't know what to tell you, okay? I assume he's dead and all of these things. If I could have had the smallest question within my heart about his motivations on this, I would have been so much more invested at the point when I fell asleep. So do you think think that this scene then – 
comes later because I do think we do need to see it. We need to see the tenderness, I think, between Galen and Jin at some point. We need to see the the strained relationship, I think, between Krennic and Galen. And we and we should see I mean we don't necessarily need to see see the death of, of Jin's mom, but we do need mm-hmm. to know what happened that day. And I agree. I would love to just see it later. And again, I think it's a really enjoyable thing to watch. I think you could have put it in and have it be more striking the the time where uh, Jim finally gets to see the message from Galen. I think, mm-hmm. and that unlocks like, oh my god, I, I like that brings her back to that the last time she saw her dad. Exactly. You see his face, and then it goes to his face younger, standing in front of Krennic. I think that would, obviously, look, I'm not making a Star Wars movie, okay? There's a reason I'm not making a Star Wars movie. There are people that are much more qualified to do it. But I think it's a very enjoyable scene to watch, but I think it harms the overall story, because now we know everything. Right. There's no questions to Rogue One. We know they're going to die. We know mm-hmm. what they're, that they're going to accomplish it. We know that they're going to get the plans, and it's going to go to the Rebellion, and the Death Star is going to be able to be blown up. We know mm-hmm. that Jin's father is a good guy that is working in favor of the Rebellion, What's, what What am I watching for? And you also know what else this sets up, that uh, we're going to get, like, an in-depth look at her relationship with Saw Gerrera. Mm-hmm. And we don't. We don't. Right. We I mean, skip all right. of that, and then it just yeah. told to us. And, like, again, that's why I think this would have been now, a better series, where you get to actually see a little bit of that before we go on to this adventure or get flashbacks of it. The fact that we're set up this relationship, and then... Mm-hmm. You see none of it until one scene, and then he dies, and you're told about the relationship a little bit. It's it's weird storytelling uh, to me. And then also the other note I have for this moment. Yeah. DC music for yeah. Star Wars Rogue One, a Star Wars story, where it's supposed sponsored to be sponsored by Star Wars. Star, sponsored by <laughs> Star Wars, TM. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so antithetical to the theme of this movie. I, like, it's so hopeful and boastful, and it's like, yeah, I get that the movie ends with, you know, what did they deliver us? Hope. But, like, I, I don't know about that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you there, because I, I think the Michael Giacchino's main, uh, the main theme that goes throughout this is the inversion of the John Williams standard Star Wars fanfare, which I think is very triumphant, mm. but he turns it... By flipping it to those minor notes at the end, I think the Rogue One score has a much darker kind of like, ooh, we don't know I what's happening. I think the overall score, on. I'm sorry, like the theme that plays when Rogue One pops mm-hmm. up, and it is, it does have a little bit of that triumphant thing where I, I it, it ends a little softer, uh, softly, where you're like, mm, yeah. maybe not. It's but like it, it, this it, is a Star Wars. Uh oh. It's like, that's what I like weird about it. again with it. with the context of like this for opening scene and um, stuff like that. It feels out of place in this moment. That I don't know if I agree with you on, but uh, I respect your opinion, and it is a it's a free country. Um, <laughs> and we'll get to we'll get to what I think about that saw and Jin scene when we get to it. But uh, uh, so now we do have Jin in jail. Uh, Jin is in jail with a uh, with a Blutopian. In case anybody was wondering, mm-hmm. the Blutopian's name is Ulan Musters. Uh, there is a name for this character, just because there's a name for every character. Uh, the nickname for this character is actually Kennel, because there are so many parasites living on this disgusting uh, prisoner that Jin or so has to live with. Uh, so that's fun. That's a fun thing to know, and now you know it. Um, then we, uh, you know, as we're kind of seeing where Jin is, we also get our first appearance of Cassian. Uh He's got Tivik here, who is a, a nervous informant who has hurt his arm somehow. 
um, and is very worried and is worried that the whole rebellion is going to go down because the uh, because the empire's got this weapon. And Cassian's like, hey, be cool, my baby, be cool. Everything's going to be fine. It's good, dude. It's all good. Blam, blam. Yeah. Cassian Andor style. Um, a very, I love this a, a strong intro. intro. Yeah, I think so. Like, it really gives you, like, the the hint of what he's willing to do to kind of make sure that the, the rebels are secure. Um, I think the idea, I, I love the moment where he yells, um, it's a planet killer. I think that's, like, mm-hmm. a well-acted moment. I think the idea of a planet killer. But because this movie's got to move so fast, it, we're, we're constantly moving on to the next thing. I think the idea of a planet killer is introduced way too early this, in the story. No, but this thing, this should move fast. We're, I, we're ten I, minutes I, in. Well, yeah, but, no, like, if it's, a, if it's a movie about the characters, and we want to mm-hmm. sit with these characters and learn about these characters before they inevitably go off onto their death, I, I disagree, but... I don't know, because the whole thing, because we then go into a whole thing where it's, like, They've got a planet killer, and everybody's like, that's ridiculous. This is freaking, this is propaganda. They don't have a planet killer. Where is this information coming from? This is an impossible weapon. So I think introducing it this early is a way to show that the rebellion doesn't, isn't sure of themselves, doesn't have the informational network that we think they have, is still infighting amongst each other, still doesn't know what the Empire is about and what they can do. So I think I think this is okay. I, I promise I'm not going to argue with y'all on every single thing you bring up. This but like <laughs> here gives me something that I want from Andor and has the opportunity to repair something for me that bothers me about Rogue One, um, which is every time that we see the Rebellion, it's dire circumstances. And you can't really compare them because it's always the whole galaxy is going to be destroyed, right? From, mm-hmm. like, that, that's it. It's the war, right? So it's not like this is particularly a more dire time than it is in A New Hope, right, Um, for the Rebellion. I want answers as to why the uh, Alliance and the Rebellion, or at least this little portion of the Alliance, uh, was so much more brutal in action than they are any other time we meet collections of the Rebellion. And they're just telling us it is. You know what I mean? Like, this movie is like, hey – these guys ain't playing around. They will straight up kill somebody and not give a shit. Um, but I want to know why it's mm-hmm. always been that dire, and I think it's justifiable to say that that has always been worthwhile. But we don't see that anywhere else. Yeah. Well, I think that's a big. I think that's a big thing that this movie wanted to bring in is we have always seen this from. We have always seen it up until Rogue One from the point of view of the big deal heroes, right? We've seen it from the points of view of the space wizards and the generals and the princesses and all of this stuff where it's, like, very top level. And we hear things like, hey, they risked their lives to bring us these plans. And it's like, well, who did? And what did they do? Because by the time we get to the people that are going to be, like, going up against Death Star, it's baby space wizard and his special buddies. And so I think what I like about this is, like, hey, just so you know, in order to get this information, you know, and that's one of the things that I like uh, about, uh, about the last Jedi as well, you know the Canto bite bits that people really don't like. I enjoy because it's some because you get a lot of conversation of like, hey, who do you think makes money on every single X-wing built? Who do you think wants this war to continue endlessly? Um, and so I like that the new movies bring this in a little bit. But but you are right in that because we've only seen it from the points of view of these main films and a lot of pe- for a lot of people just cartoons or comics or things like that. It's like Yo, when did things get this gritty? 
when did things get this grim? Um, and I think part of I think part of it is that, that they're trying to explain is like they don't know they also don't know what they're doing yet, and it's a bunch of like insurgent cells that don't get along that have no mission statement yet. You know what I mean? Where it's yeah. like even even the fact that Saw Gerrera is here, they're like. Yeah, we used to work with Saw Gerrera. Uh, Saw Gerrera got a little weird. Yeah, because yeah. it's like maybe Saw Gerrera was trained by Anakin Skywalker, and that's why he got a little weird, you know? Yeah, but it's this whole thing of, like, you see these people arguing where it's like, yo, we don't want to do too much fighting because this isn't a full-on war yet. And then you've got Saw Gerrera that's like, I'm going to blow up everybody, and yeah. I'm going to murder everyone because that's how you get this done. And yeah. to Paige's point, uh, I do think Andor already is even kind of dealing with this. Like, there mm-hmm. was uh, those lines talking about, like, the different um, kind of sections that there are of the Rebellion and then him being like, aren't they all the same? It's like, I do like that they are, they're getting into it. But, yeah, like, so far, Rogue One, I think, was a very distinct and different take on it all. And mm-hmm. I, I vibe with it. I like it a lot. I like that we're getting more of it. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting because this is one of the things that I think people love about it so much is that it did bring the darker into Rogue into Star Wars, which like I wasn't I wasn't necessarily waiting for. I wasn't one of those people that were, that were like Star Wars movies need to be serious and need to be darker. Um, so I understand like there's some tonal whiplash here if you've been watching Star Wars all your life and now it's like all of a sudden it's like we murder people in an alley. You know, like, I totally, I totally get where people are coming from on that. Um, speaking, well, uh, what we're going right now is to Jetta, which is, ooh, oh, I, that Jetta theme fucking goes hard every time I listen to yeah. it. That, twa- like, the, like, you, you feel the kind of vibration on whatever string is being pulled at there. It's so good. It's so cool. All of Jetta goes hard. The look of Jetta goes hard. Oh my hard. God, the look of Jetta. Oh, I don't know how I feel about that mountain, though. The, oh, uh, I love the it. Big, the what? Jedi mountain. Oh my God, the fallen statue. Yeah, miss me with that. Don't like it. You don't <laughs> like it. All the Jedi statues. This is so cool. This is, wait, wait, wait. No, no, hold on. Wait, Tim. What do you not like about it? Uh, to me, I'll, I'll take the blue milk zoom in any day of the week. That little too on the nose for me. Don't like it. It's it's a, it's a giant statue. It's not like, oh, accidentally the rocks formed into the shape of a Jedi. It's We built statues here because this was a Jedi temple, and it's fallen. You don't like it? <laughs> don't like it. You don't like it? No. See, to me, when you talk about Jedha, and you talk about, like, this is where they're mining, this is where they're, like, trying to get all this kyber from, and it's right. in and out of this planet, and... It just makes sense that this, like, this holy, they call it the holy city, right? And mm-hmm. it makes sense to me that, like, this would have been some central, like, ancient Jedi, like, and so, of course, there's, like, a giant statue of some Jedi whose name we don't know anymore. And I, I don't know, I like, I like it. It's got that Ozymandias, you know, look on my works, you mighty and despair yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. down my three favorite things from this movie, and that's what <laughs> I love it. I love it, Sage. I also wrote down my 18 least favorite, and it's one of them. Uh, a quick thing, just another design thing. I love the design of Sagrera's, like, second-in-command. That, like, weird little, that, that weird guy with the oh, kind yeah. of, like, half-masked face and stuff like Two-tubes. that. Two-tubes. He's always... Two-tubes. They're brothers. The, oh. They're twin brothers. Oh, really? Okay. They're eggmates is what they call it. That's but, yeah. weird. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but I like it, and I also wrote my uh, notes here. Hey, kids. It's Riz Ahmed. It's Rizamed, and he's, he's there. Also the maybe creepiest character in Star Wars. 
Like, the way that they designed this character of, like, oh, Saw yeah, guy, like, yeah. is aesthetically so different yeah. from mm-hmm. the rest of, like, Star Wars aliens. Um, they, they're it's communicating like, something it, it, big with the look of that just because it's, like, rougher around the edges and, like, the mm-hmm. metal pieces look grosser. Yeah. It reminds yeah. me of, like, the first time you see the bounty hunters in Empire when Vader calls in and you're like, whoa, like, this is... This is a different tone from what we've seen so far. Uh, which is cool. uh, a fun fact about two tubes is after the fall of Jetta, one of them gets out and becomes one of the cloud riders that works with Enfys Nest. Oh, it's so that's fun. Okay. Yeah. Um, or starts with Enfys Nest and then goes to Jetta. I'm trying to remember my timelines. Because <laughs> wouldn't uh, Solo be before this? Yes. 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 So started as a cloud rider, then goes to work for Saw Gerrera. Um, so, yeah, Bodhi Rook is like, hey, no, we're on the same side. I, I, pro- I promise you, like, I'm here. Don't let the uniform fool you. And then they're like, yeah, throw a mask on him. Let's get him out of here. Uh, meanwhile, Jin's on her way to the labor camp. She's going by the uh, by the alias Leanna Hollick, um, and she gets liberated and does not enjoy that uh, and immediately takes out her liberators, tries to run away, and gets Choke slammed by K2SO in one of my favorite droid introductions in the history of Star Wars. K2SO. Congratulations. Best, you are being liberated. Best of all do not character in this movie. K2SO. I agree. Yeah. I will also say, because this is the meaning of K2SO, I, the number one thing that I remembered enjoying about this movie was K2SO. Mm-hmm. That was, like, always the thing where I was like, yeah, the K2SO is great. The, the, the hallway scenes Vader is great. Those are things that, like, ping and you remember. K2SO is less original than I remember. His mm. personality is excellent. I wish they would have given him a little less 3PO. He is a, he is very 3PO in ways. Yeah. It overlaps a little too much. It's almost like the, the like, cadence of it, uh, of, like, the, the delivery of the lines and stuff, where I, I definitely see that. But I also wrote down in my notes, Alan Tudyk is the GOAT. So true. Time. 100%. Absolutely correct. Alan Tudyk phenomenal and this character is phenomenal there was a couple of things where they were like do you get it do you get it he's like 3PO See? <laughs> yeah he's 3PO he but thing. he can actually fight you know so he's but not he's a win right yeah and I wonder if it's right. something yeah. where, where at that point they were trying to be like well most droids have like a similar base personality or something because they hadn't done too. I mean they had done a lot but they hadn't done a lot live action in films and as we know the movies tend to do what they want and you know worry less about the other stuff in canon uh, so I wonder if they weren't like, I don't know, but you know, this is this is sort of like Cassian is sort of like, what if what if Han Solo was like was like grim was a little grim dark, you know what I yeah. mean? And was like yeah. a very serious rebellion spy. And so I think we were supposed to sort of see him and K two as sort of like, yeah, these are the buddies you know, but through like a very dire mirror that had a much harder life in a way, you know? Yeah. Um, so, anyway, we head to Yavin 4. I fucking love Yavin 4. I love computers and ziggurats. It's a good look. It's an aesthetic that I enjoy. Come on. They knew what they were doing, and they pulled it off, in my opinion. Uh, we get a couple of – we get uh, Davids Draven, General Draven, who is uh, who is talking to Jyn Erso about, like, hey, what do you know? What do you know about your dad? What's going on here? Cassian's, in, Cassian's interrogating her a little bit. Mon Mothma walks in. And immediately Steals just him. takes over the energy of the scene. Yeah. 
She's the best. She's and they so did good. that so well because they lit her in a way that does that. It was so intentional from mm-hmm. the outfit that she wears to the way that she carries herself to the way that they spotlight Mon Mothma as she enters in there. You're just like, everyone oh, she's knew. important. Yeah. 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 And, it, it, and it's funny, too, of, like, thinking about where this is in the timeline, where they're kind of building up her character and her character arc in Andor. It feels like the first time she's really letting herself come out of the shadows as, like, the leader of the Rebellion in a way, which is yeah. really freaking cool. And she's not dressed She's not dressed all business-like or anything. She's right. got more of, like, the classic. And what I love about this entrance, in some of the, you know, some of the biggest complaints that I think people have about new Star Wars and current Star Wars is, like, we've talked about it before, it's the Glup Shido thing. It's like, look at this thing that's in the background. Look at this character. We're going to mention this thing. What I will say... And I give credit to everyone on the writing team, but of course, the only one I'm friends with is Gary Witta, so I'm going to say this was Gary Witta. Gary Witta did an amazing job of putting these things in in a way that doesn't bug you so much or doesn't make you go, oh, they're pointing something out. Like, that shot is them giving Mon Mothma her flowers after years of, like, hardcore Star Wars fans knowing how cool Mon Mothma is. And just being like, here she is. We know how cool Mon Mothma is, too. And I just love that. You know um, who else is cool? Bail Organa, baby. Let's Jimmy get everyone Smith, in there. Let's go. <laughs> just <laughs> walking out of the shadows. <laughs> love it. Love it so much. We didn't even know. What, are you, what was he doing there? When was he there? We don't know. Yeah, the whole time. Bail Organa. <laughs> I also have it written down in my notes here is like this this scene, this conversation that's kind of going back and forth, them giving kind of their um what's led them to this moment of uh speaking with Jin, um, the idea of this planet killer, talking to Galen. I have it uh, written in my notes. Two things is every important aspect of this movie, I feel like, is introduced so quickly. Uh, Like I was saying earlier, it feels like the movie just wants to get going. When these characters, Mm -hmm. uh, we should be sitting and breathing with for this kind of story. And then when Jin is sent on this mission, on this journey, we barely know her as a character, which doesn't, like, get me invested into her by the time they're going out to Jeddah. Where it's like, and, and I get what they're doing here where she doesn't even really know who she is and, like, what she's about and stuff like that. But again, to kind of pull that off into a, a, a two-hour movie and you're already going on this adventure 20 minutes into the movie, I, it, it, it was hard for me to kind of, like, connect with anybody on that team at that point. It cribs a lot from, from old-school movies like Bridge on the River Kwai or, or old Steve McQueen movies yeah. where it's just yeah. kind of like you, you, get introduced to this, you get introduced to the team and you get three lines to really understand what, the, what each member is about. It's like a very classic kind of like war movie thing. Yeah, and, I, I would I would but, push but, back on that. But though, here's what I'm Jim. saying. But here's what I'm saying. But here's what I'm saying is it's very classic. But movies have come a long way since those films, and storytelling has come a long way since those films. Right. So I understand how something like that can feel hollow, mm-hmm. which is why I love that they got as brilliant a cast as they got. Is so when people have to deliver these lines, when Jen Erso says, you know, I've never had the luxury of political opinions you have to feel yeah. all the subtext coming from Felicity. Yep. Uh, and that, in that, that's something else I have written in my, in my notes. Because at first, when I first saw this movie, I kind of chalked it up of, like, maybe I just uh, didn't like Felicity Jones' performance in this. Rewatching it this time, I had in my notes, like, everybody gives their all with what little they're given. Like, uh, mm-hmm. with uh, Felicity Jones, uh, Diego Luna, I have written down. But it's like, you... you 
you feel it in their performance, but again, I, I, I wish they were given a little bit more to, yeah. to really back I it up with. a very similar experience with it. Originally, I was like, maybe I just don't like Felicity Jones, which is like weird, um, but I, I don't know. I don't usually have that experience where I'm just like, man, I just really hate this leading person and there's nothing they can do about it. Um, and watching it back, that's why I was like, I do like it more. And I was always really just like, I just don't like really Cassian or Jin. And that was a problem, obviously. Um, but I big like problem. Jin. It's a big problem for this movie. <laughs> uh, I like Jin so much more. I still stayed pretty whatever on Cassian, personally. I like him so much more on Andor already than I did through this movie or ever have. But I agree that Felicity was given it. There was just nothing to give. Like, giving yeah. what? If there's no context provided to who this woman is, like, okay, she's at some point is just having to say the lines because we're not oh, getting any is. time to, like, yeah. meet her and, like, give her something other than I'm mad about my dad. Right. I, we get to some parts in Act 3 where I think there's some sub, there's some subtextual, like, physical performance stuff between – Felicity and Diego that I think sells things a lot better. Uh, but you're right. In the beginning of this, it's it's kind of like, hmm. Um, so uh, they talk about how Saw Gerrera is very dangerous. And then we go right back over to see just how dangerous Saw Gerrera is. How uh, dangerous because, is he, Carboni? Uh, he's so dangerous. Uh by the way, I'm sorry, I forgot to shout out General Dandana in that scene. Shout oh, out to General Dandana. Shout out. Um, but, um, Sagarera, uh, uh, Bodhi says that, you know, Galen sent him, you know, hey, I, I've been sent by Galen, like, and Sagarera's just like, hmm, have you? Lies. Lies. Deceptions. <laughs> more and more every day. Oh. I love, listen. Is it a choice? Sure. Yes. Can't you like or dislike this choice? Absolutely. Do I love this choice? A hundred percent. And that's Okay, fair. I want to know, what is everyone's vibe check on Saw Gerrera? Let's give an overall, do you like Saw Gerrera? Tim, I want to play with you. Saw Gerrera, I am all about. I love it. I love these choices. I think that some of the plot choices around this, and specifically the memory freaking monster thing, I hate that. But, and I... I to, to me, Barrett's whole thing about the character development and, like, not getting enough of it for, like, where we're at, Sagarera to me is, I think, the the worst case of it, where it's like, I love the idea of him, I love the performance of him, I love everything about him here, I feel like it's not earned, and I feel like it, it, it's not done justice to deserve this much screen time, honestly, and this much presence for something that feels confusing to the lore more than it does additive, and I understand he's been in other uh, things and the games and the shows and all that stuff, but, like, we're talking about this movie, and I think in yeah. this movie, they didn't do the best job setting him up to have this moment hit correctly. Having said that, they did everything they could in the scene itself, because I love his performance. Fucking love I... Every time... I write notes about something I watch in Star Wars, and Sagarera pops up. Whether that be this movie, whether that be Star Wars, The Clone Wars, whether that be Star Wars Rebels, whether it be Jedi Fallen Order, I always write down, enough Sagarera. We tried, we tried again, I love the idea of him, it just never hits. I, li- I love the idea that Anakin and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka were the ones who trained him in, like, guerrilla warfare and stuff like that. It just, he is never, I just don't know if it's, like, whenever they try to write that character, it just isn't 
the the execution just doesn't grab me for whatever reason. I think in the context of this movie, there was something there. But again, I think the what you were saying earlier today is like the opening scene does a discredit to it because you see him for like a couple seconds, and he seems like yeah, like he's. Old. Yeah, you see a little hole, like, come on, child, like, we've got a long journey to go. And he seems fairly normal. Like, yeah, he might be on the run. He's like a normal, (laughs) but he's still kind of a normal dude as much as you know about him in this movie. And then the next time you see him, he's screaming, Lies! Detention! More every day! And you're like, oh, this guy has fallen off the deep end. I would like to have seen that. How did he get from zero to a hundred? Show me Where that. It was a long journey. Yeah, show me. I don't tell me what you're doing with every you. single plot aspect in this movie, man. They'll they, show you on Disney you know, Plus in 2025. It's Andy. funny because they – well, okay, number one, Saw Gerrera, I love. Hundo P, I'm 100% on board with Saw Gerrera and everything Saw Gerrera does. They showed, they showed Forrest Whitaker this breathing mask, and he's like, I got it. I got the whole character. You don't need to tell me anything about it. Like, kind of just like forcefully grabs it and then like, throws it. Send you to kill me. There isn't much of me left. Oh, I fucking that was love a good, it. again. Great performances. So Gareth, Gareth Edwards and uh, and Gary, uh, who loves Saw Gerrera, bring up and name check Colonel Kurtz from uh, from Apocalypse Now. This military guy who has gone off the deep end. You haven't seen, but like he's been in warfare. He's been in the shit for so long, you know. And uh, you see it a little bit more in this in this scene where he confronts Jin. But I love it. But all he really says here is, "Bordelet." And then I gotta do another vibe check, Sage, and I'm gonna start with you. Yeah, CG Tarkin. Let's discuss. I think most of the CG characters were just unnecessary in this. When you could have done something implied, and we'll revisit the CG characters portion later of this because obviously we know it will come back up. Yep. Um, this one bothers me less than the later one. Mm-hmm. But like, it feels more like guys. We can do this, as opposed to, like, we should do this. Yeah. You asked if you could. You never stopped to ask if you should. A hundred percent. That's how I about the CGI characters. W- before we even get that shot of CG Tarkin, we got to talk about that first shot of the Death Star. Because, again, just the cinematography of this movie, what yes. they were able to pull off, that, yes. that first Death Star shot might be the hottest shot of Death Stars. Uh, well, no, shot. second... Second. No, no, there's one that comes later. later. Yes. There's one yeah. that comes later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But this one, still. <laughs> Pretty damn good. Fucking phenomenal, phenomenal shot. And also, phenomenal shot. Also. But you're avoiding, no, but you're avoiding. C.G. Tarkin. C.G. Tarkin. Which I you love can't avoid C.G. Tarkin. shot where you see he the reflection so many on the there, glass. You can't avoid him. I know. When you get the reflection on the glass, I was, and I remember my, my thought for the first time watching the movie where I was like, that's tasteful. Just get a little bit of him, like, behind the head shots. You can kind of see him, like, maybe shots of him moving his body around and stuff, or you're more focusing on uh, uh, Ben Mendelsohn's character, stuff like that. But then he just turns around, and you're like, oh, God, what are they doing? <laughs> Again, going back to the Jesus. You, 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 uh, you know, thought more about if you could rather than if you should. Um, yeah. yeah. P.G. Tarkin? 
fucking love it. Are you kidding me? Come on, man. It's a fucking character that is like, there's no other way to bring it back. This is the only way. It makes perfect sense for him to be a part of this. Did they need to have as many close-ups? Absolutely not. Would I have done it a little bit differently? Yes. Do I think that this is just a egregious, like, terrible thing? Absolutely not. I would rather have it how it is than not have Tarkin at all. The Leia thing later at the end, yeah. Is it a little too no. much? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Did I mark out? No. Yes, I did. Did I love it? I did. Do I love watching it now? It looks a little silly. I'll admit yeah. it. I'll admit you, it looks silly. But my thing that. is, if it's going to be for just a bit, if it's going to be just for a second, a line, whatever, you get it. We understand what they're trying to do. I'm fine with that. I don't like it when it's like, oh, hey, here's Luke Skywalker, and now he's just going to be in this episode now, and we're just going to have to deal with this robot situation. Like, that's what I have a bigger problem with it. When it's like, here's Tarkin in a goddamn scene, you get the Tim Gettys round of applause. What do you yeah. think, That's so wild. His hair I... defies gravity. It goes off. Why does it do that? He's dead. He's no longer living. This actor, he is so, gone. So again, knows it once a little bit die, ethically, like uh, someone in the chat says, Michael, ethically, a little dubious. A little dubious, yeah. I will say. I don't think blood. we should put dead people in movies. Well, that's, listen, sure, that's a whole thing. Here's what I'll say about C.G. Tarkin. You know, the entire prequel trilogy was made based on look what we can do, not look whether we should do this, but look what we can do and can we pull it off. So I'm not surprised that this is the way that they decided to go with it. Can we make a fully realistic human? Can we have, can it be like Peter Cushing is there? Can we make this work? Kind of, like mostly, I think, but I do agree that you didn't need to do as many close-ups, static shots. You didn't need to hang on him as much. In order to sell the effect a little more, there are ways where the scene could have been shot a little more artfully. And I feel like that was probably Lucasfilm and ILM telling Gareth, no, we have this technology and we're showing it off because that's what they like to do. That being yeah. said, it's aged a little more gracefully than I thought it would have. It didn't bug me yeah. as much as I thought. Yeah. Um, even the even the Leia, and I don't know if they touched up the Leia in the intervening years since I first saw it, but the Leia the only they made it Leia, Leia does not look great. I'm gonna say it does I'm not, not gonna say great. I'm not gonna say that she looks great, but she does look a little better than I thought she did, and we we've, we've got tons mm. to say about that. We're, I'm we're, sure. we're missing the meat of this scene here because uh, you know. Take it, back. Take, take it back. Take it back 30 minutes when I said Ben Mendelsohn is a very good antagonist. Bring it back. Ooh. Ben Mendelsohn is also a very good protagonist. Are you kidding me with the story of, like, the dynamic between him and Tarkin and this whole political stuff inside the empire of, you know, playing politics with your senior officers and them possibly ruining your careers? I love that shit. And we should have gotten ten times more of it. And you know how yeah. we could have gotten that? In a series where we actually spend time with Ben Mendelsohn's character and you see him ride the high of his career, then it all is all the more satisfying when it's all taken yes. away from him with that beautiful shot at the end that we'll talk about later. I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say that I don't want more Orson Krennic. I'll tell you that I want tons more Orson yeah. Krennic. Um, yeah. This scene this seems very short, but it did it did we do get more of that inter interdepartment argument later, but I did I, I just thought about like Ben Mendelssohn has this thing that new Star Wars really loves for their villains, which is also something that Adam Driver does really well, which is I'm constantly angry and always trying to hide it, and about sixty percent of the time I can, but when I so, can't, 
it is intense. And I think Krennic's also a very good example of it. They really did make this movie look like the space 70s, and I think that's very impressive. Yes. Overall, this looks the most like the original trilogy, and that makes sense, like, timeline-wise. You know, you watch the sequel sequels. You watch the, you know, uh, later Skywalker saga, et cetera, and it, it looks like very different times like it's supposed to, right? It's in a completely different world. But, like, this really does look like the space 70s that Star Wars was originally. The so dark, cool. And it's the, a great, like, character for that. Yeah, the, the, the dark shininess of all of the interiors of the Imperial stuff, like, looks so 70s. Like, Maybe? looks so like the original Imperial stuff. Huh? Like, the way they cast for it is different, too. Yeah. Like, ben Mendelsohn looks like a character out of the 70s Star Wars. Like, yeah. it's him as a person, his face. Um, yeah. And that's not the case in the Kylo Ren years. No, no. They, that's one thing that I do like about everybody in Rogue One is like, you know, you know, obviously Felicity Jones is is has has those movie star looks and everything. But most of the people, like when you look at like when you look at Rogue One, the Squadron, you're like, these look like regular people. Like they're good looking people, but they're regular people. Um, let's jump into this flashback that uh, we see of Galen and Krennic having a party. Of course not, baby. Yeah, just hanging out, just like being cool, and uh, we get a little bit of a uh, little bit of the happier times before Jin remembers being put into the tunnel, mm. and then she wakes up, and uh, we are on Jeddah with a star destroyer. Over the city, which looks so cool. Which is not I love like the ruins often of in live action stuff, and it looks so dope here. It yeah. just never, it just never doesn't look cool. Uh, so we have the star destroyer of the city. We Real quick, the, the flashback I liked a lot, um, and yeah. you guys know this, but I always love when the prequel era and the original trilogy era kind of have some overlap, where like planets or like ideas or characters from one era we see in the other. And this was really the first time ever we saw that in live action because Force Awakens like, yeah. pretended the prequels didn't exist at all, and so this having Coruscant, I remember being like, "Oh my god, they fucking did it!" Whereas in uh, Force Awakens, they decided to like, "You you wanted a planet killer?" Well. We got galaxy killer motherfuckers, and you think that's Coruscant? It's not Coruscant. It's just another place. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So we have the uh, we have the whole thing with uh, Saw has been attacking cargo shipments of kyber crystals, is what we find out. Um. And uh, so they're going to find out what's going on. And I love this. There's so much good K2 stuff. So many of my notes are like K2 stuff. Like I ignored the blaster thing earlier, but it was a good it was a yeah. good exchange. But this whole thing where it's like, oh well, maybe we should leave target practice here. It's like I can. What are you? Are you saying I can't blend in? I'm an imperial droid. This is an <laughs> imperial occupied city. I can blend in. And they're just like, eh, eh, yeah. And I love how he sadly drops the bag too. Yeah. Like. Whatever, and then even earlier where he's like, the likelihood of her using that against us, it's high. It's very high. Like, he's, yeah. Yeah. he's, he's like, a sassy little boy. What do I know? My my specialty is just strategic analysis. It's fine. Like, <laughs> um, But this is where the real star of the series shows up, sculpted by Neil Scanlon and the Creature Shop, the first, the first creature to be sculpted at full size, 
2.5 tons of silicon, measuring at 10 by 6 by 6 feet, fully articulated puppet. This is the pride of the Mayoran. Borgullet! I'm starting to think Borgullet doesn't... Uh, good job, Tim. I'm starting to think it makes no fucking sense as a concept. Like, how can someone tell the hey, truth that they... Fuck you, Barrett Courtney. I was starting to think, like, maybe, you know, Carboni, like, how can one tell the truth if they lose their mind? What's the point of that? What's the point because of you, that? You extract the truth, and if it drives them crazy in the process, this is where we're seeing. This is well, where we where are seeing. Where is the truth? Is Bill Gullet pour, like, pulling the, the truth? The brain! In? He has a tentacle, a going brain! Does the Bork Gullet speak out loud the truth? Like, how? what is that process? Yeah, sure. It doesn't fucking make any sense. It go in brain. You see brain hole later. It mess with him. It, it go in person being interrogated brain, right? Yeah. In, in any yeah. scenario, not this specific one. It go in person being interrogated brain. Yeah. Like a straw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like That's a little silly too. straw. Okay. Yeah, and then straw. it spits it into the his gullet. brain. It starts the bore as the gullet. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, it spits it, 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 it into Sagarera's brain. It then puts a tentacle there. I don't know oh. what you don't understand about but this. But also, like, if, really if, that, if that's right the now. process, wouldn't Sagarera be like, oh, shit, y'all. you told the truth, and not still be suspicious when Jyn Erso shows up? Look. Borgullet says it in English. And <laughs> he says it in basic. He says it in basic. He says it in basic, and it's voiced by Anthony Hopkins for some reason. <laughs> Look, I love Borgullet. I think Borgullet rules. And, uh, I think Borgullet should rule. I'm going to agree with you that conceptually, if they were like, yo, there's a creature in Star Wars that, like, tentacles the truth out of your brain that casts zone of truth on you for my yeah. D&D people, I'd be Borgullet. like, hell yeah. In practice, I don't think that it did that, but mm. I love the idea of it, and I see the potential for more of these creatures within the universe to tell weird stories with. It's just not there for me. Okay. Yeah. That's my, fine. My, my biggest problem with the Borgullet is that it is one of those examples of they introduced a character and mm-hmm. plot point just to have, like, this scene. And I feel like had it been an uh, established thing in the Star Wars lore that we understood, and it's mm-hmm. like, oh, shit, they're, Saw Gerrera is so evil and, like, so, like, any means necessary that he'll use this thing to do that, that's messed up. But, I feel but like that would make a lot more sense like, than, than but you're arguing that things it, when we are, haven't had characters that we've already been introduced go deep enough with. Buddy, Here's the it's, a big, it's a big purple tentacle monster. We know sagarera has gone over the edge. How much explanation do you need? Borgullet is a bad thing. I because do agree with it, that. It's not that I needed more explanation. I wanted less explanation. I wanted not yeah. to have to be explained in this scene. More yeah. things happening. For the we're not enough time. Borgullet's going to get it out of you. There's nothing to explain. Like, all the talk about Borgullet, I would have rather just had a conversation with Riz Ahmed. You know what I mean? Listen, I would love to sit down and have a conversation with Riz Ahmed. Okay? But we're talking about Bodie Rook. And we're talking about Saw Gerrera, and Saw Gerrera is going to get the real information, and he's going to use Borgullet to do it. I don't get what's wrong with you people. Meanwhile, in the Jetta Marketplace. Which is a cool, uh, cool, a cool vibe. I know we see a lot of desert planets here, but I, 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 there's something about the uh, the holy city that I, I really liked. And I felt like it stood out against something like Tatooine and, and other places. There, I, 
I think this this is proof that the problem isn't desert planets. The problem is giving desert planets like identifiable features that make them unique to themselves and not just another Tatooine. Where, they, like, just, yeah, they just put Tatooine in everything. Exactly. Literally well, Tatooine. well, literally Tatooine, but it's like, I feel like Jakku didn't have enough of a defining thing to itself in any of the times we saw it. So it just felt like, oh, it's Tatooine by everything but name. Right. right. And I guess there was a Like, it was there, weird that like, it wasn't Tatooine. Do you know I, what I mean? Exactly. Like, sometimes, yeah. like, with Jakku, you were like, so there's just another Tatooine where, like, more of this shit's going on? Like, I get that. Yeah. Um, what I think I love about the Jetta Marketplace is, and I, and I want to I wanna give a shout-out to this, Gareth Edwards understands the Star Wars style guide so much, and he leaned into it so hard. We get a lot of Marketplace scenes. We get a lot of crowd scenes. There are so many little shots of puppets and creatures and... Uh, Star and Wars. Just Star Wars. And he's not hanging too long on them. He's not like, look at this cool little thing. You know, you see all of these different creatures that are just kind of like looking around in the marketplace and they're treated like they're regular people in the crowd, which is how they should be treated. Um, And the density of them uh, in this one scene is just phenomenal. Uh, I just, I just think Gareth, Gareth doesn't get his due enough for uh for being a just a great Star Wars director and I think he really really was. Mm. Um so but then we do get a glup shido moment here. Uh two of Gary Wood's favorite characters, Ponda Baba and Dr. Evazan. Um hey kids. have to get hey kids like who have to get from here who have to get from here to Tatooine in time for to get their arms cut off and shit. Um <laughs> I do like it's like I don't mind it because it happened so quickly and like they could have knocked into anybody and just yeah. been like, oh, this is a tough place. Um, it didn't hang on it long enough where I was like, ugh, you know, I, it didn't feel like it, it was a fun little moment. I, I didn't I, I never hated that moment. No. Um, and then we get the uh, we get the first example of the uh, of of the of the line here. Rebellions are built on hope from Cassian, which and we I 100 percent will think will be in Andor. That will be said out loud in Andor somewhere, yeah. whether in season one or season two, because you know there will be time jumps and stuff like he that. He taught but. it to Jin, but who taught it to him? Exactly. Yeah. Um, ding dang, Donnie Yen. The oh. world's biggest action movie star making his big budget Hollywood debut. He had been in he had been in Hollywood stuff before, but this is us. This is doing this is a this is America doing an yeah. American movie doing a Donnie Yen vehicle, yeah. like one of the big summer blockbusters, and it was so amazing to see him in this. Uh, and this first scene is wonderful because it shows, like, we're always talking about how there are too many Jedi. Like, why is everybody a Jedi? Why does everybody have to be a Jedi? If the Force is a mystical thing, mm-hmm. aren't there a hundred different ways to access it? Which obviously is Disney Plus we're getting now, but at the time we hadn't yet. Yes. Uh, we've gotten some of it a little bit in, like, the animated series and in the comics, but it was nice to see this. Uh, this monk, this guardian of the wills, which of course comes from the original George Lucas's original name for the Star right. Wars saga. And why does Cassian um, know so much about that? Also, something we'll learn in Andor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, also, uh, the guardian of the wills was supposed to be the original immortal being that narrated Star Wars. Instead oh, wow. of having like opening crawls, the guardian of the wills was going to be an immortal being that 
told us what was going on in Star Wars. So I think probably it's fun. It's probably a good choice that they didn't do that. I feel like Guardians yeah, of the Will would have been a lot to start off Star Wars with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just have Star Wars God, and that'd be weird. Yeah. <laughs> well, he said a lot of the stuff, like, the wills turned into the Force, and so I love that this was brought back as a term to use. Uh, we also get I love, the, I love him so much. I love so good. Pretty much, honestly, I think he is, him uh, and his boy, are, like, two of the better characters in this movie, and I feel like they are the, the – they, they work for me because they don't need to have these crazy character arcs or anything. They kind of just, like – add to the vibe and add to the plot and the yeah. lore that we're getting. They add and to I the, love... the, the team dynamic. Yep, exactly. And in the same way that we're talking about giving props to this movie and Last Jedi kind of showing that it's not all good, bad, like the rebellion can be bad as well, and like the, who you think makes these things, like all those conversations. I do like how much this in one character introduction moment adds to the Force in general and everything we know about it and what it can mean for, mm-hmm. for people and what it does mean to the Star Wars world itself when it isn't tied to Darth Vader versus Luke Skywalker. Um, so I I think that, like, these characters alone make this movie, like, uh, a higher-tiered Star Wars movie for me. I agree. I think they're by far the best uh, characters in the movie by, like, my leaps favorite. and bounds. The mm-hmm. action scene is my favorite action scene throughout it, even including the Vader scene at the end. I think this is really phenomenal and interesting. Um, I really enjoy the concept being broadened of the Force goes beyond the Jedi. Um, one, that... If this is a fizzled-out thing that people have lost belief and hope in and lost connection to, that there would naturally be those people that are, like, borderline conspiracy theorists holding on to this concept of the Force, right? And that this guy's sitting there like, no, 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 I know that I believe in the Force. And whether it's real or not, his ability to connect with it, I personally think he has. Like, it's a Force sensitivity, which we know exists. Um, Like, the way that he moves and exists, is a really cool thing to go, hey, not everyone who connects to the Force is a Jedi. This is something that exists in everyone canonically, and this is how he uses it, and I think that's very cool. Yeah. It's not, also, not it was also these so fight scenes, too. Yeah. Oh, it was yeah. also just so fun to me to get this. Um, it's, a very, it's a very Eastern movie thing and a very Eastern sort of legendary tradition where you get the monk who has to be pure and mm-hmm. walk through the world pure, who has, you know, usually like a samurai or a warrior that does the dirty work for him so he can stay pure and stay spiritual. And I love that they brought that into Star Wars and kind of and kind of made that part of it. We do get into this very, very good action sequence now, which I think, once again, extremely well-directed uh, by Gareth. Uh, amazing camera work by Greg Frazier, where uh, this is not, a style of battle sequence that we had ever seen in Star Wars. This is directed like a war movie. This yep. shootout in, in the in the square in the Holy City. It is a war movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The child screaming, Jin running in to save, like all of that sequence from mm-hmm. the second that the blasting blasting starts is is very like outside of Star Wars, but it changes genres, I think, a few times throughout it, and I don't mind that. I think that's cool. It does. Uh, it, it does. It starts with, like, very handheld camera work, like, very kind of traditional military movie camera work, until you get Chirrut Inway going into the battle, in which, when everything changes into very smooth, very controlled camera work, as Chirrut takes control of the battlefield, um, 
which I absolutely love. I love this sequence. I think it's an amazing, amazing action sequence. Uh, also, shout out to Moroth the Gigaran in the background, that big, <laughs> abominable snowman-looking dude. Yeah, He's part of, of the Partisans. Yeah. Uh, One I, of my favorite members of the Partisans, Moroth the Gigaran. <laughs> I agree with you on, on this scene. Again, I think uh, character-wise, though, what they try to do with this, where, where Jin saves the little kid, I think would have hit a little more, again, if the beginning of her arc had a little bit more direction on who the hell she is. Like, at this yeah. point, I wrote down, Jin Erso reminds me of the Qui-Gon Jin test from Let, uh, Red Letter Media, where they're like, all right, describe the character without uh, uh, any features or lines that they say. Describe the character of Han Solo. Describe the character of Princess Leia. Describe the character of Luke. And then they're like, describe Qui-Gon Jin. And everybody is like, oh, that's kind of tough because they're almost a non-character. And up until this point, even a little after this point. Again, I feel like Felicity Jones' performance, great, but what is written here, uh, Jen Ursa still feels like a, a non-character to me, which is yeah. not what you want in your Reed. protagonist. Absolutely. Yeah. I think... I think I believe the I think I believe the motivation of it, even if she's even if she's not 100 percent sure she's with the rebellion yet. I believe it because, you know, obviously she sees a screaming she sees a screaming little girl who's about to be you know separated from her family and hurt by the empire, and that's at least personal to her, um, which yeah. I like. And it's just like, I do like that there's it, it wasn't a moment. I don't think it was as big of a moment as I think it should have been. Didn't hit as crazy. I yeah. think it hit better as a showing the differences between Jin and Cassian, where Cassian was like, if a kid sure. dies, a kid dies right yeah. now, because we've got bigger fish to fry. I also, yeah. in this sequence, I wrote down, I want Diego Luna to nod at me one day like he nodded at Jin after watching her back. That's all else I'll ask here. Yeah. That's all I want. That's all I want. Um, I do like there is a no-look no blaster shot to a stormtrooper, because you got to do that in this Got to do it. You got to do it. Jin, Jin shoots a stormtrooper in the leg there. Uh, and then, you know, you get your... Um, you get your Jang Wen as Bay's as uh, Bay's malice comes in at the end with his just his insane heavy firepower. So sick. Um, and he's like, "The force protected me." He's like, "The force protected me. I protected you." Yeah. Also, we, we, there's another scene in Alan Tudyk. Uh, Alan Tudyk again. The goat deserves an award for this performance with just the line, "I'm imprisoning them in prison." Yeah. So fucking god here. It's so good. so good. I also really love the inter the interaction between. I will say some of these relationships do work really well, and Jin and K two works really well for yeah, me. Yeah, like, did the, you know that wasn't me? Yeah, that's like, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then at the end, of course, the partisans two tubes, two tubes comes up and is like, yo. We're gonna take you. We're we're gonna take you to Sagarera. It's like great. You better take me to Sagarera. He's like, he fine. We will take there. you. I'm the most special boy in the galaxy. <laughs> uh, and and then you'll have to answer to my dad's. <laughs> Whichever Anyone dad it is. <laughs> um, but I do love Chirrut Imways. Like, are you kidding me? I'm blind. As they're putting the bag over his head. <laughs> Perfect. Get get the chuckle um, every time I see it. Uh, so then uh, they're in prison. And we get the the little bit of the uh, the Baze and Chirrut thing where it's like, oh, he's praying for the door to open. I'm one with the force. And, the force is with me. Yeah. And Chirrut's like, oh, he's just upset because he knows it's possible. 
Mm-hmm. Like, he knows I might open this door with the force today. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe today's the day I open the door with the force. He also says that at one point, like, Cassian's trying to physically do it. He, uh, he says to Cassian, I tend to carry a prison for wherever you go. A cool line. But again, build that more. Show me. Yeah. Don't tell me. Um... Although we see the shots of the, the Star Destroyers leaving and, like, the yeah. TIE Fighters, like, around yeah. it. It's, like, in so many ways, this movie is just, like, Star Wars fantasy fulfillment of, like, wouldn't it be cool if? And they're just, like, yeah, it would. And they just do it. Yeah, it's really nice. Everything everything was ships in this movie. Like, they were, like, if we're going to make a if we're gonna make a war movie, like, they're all Star Wars movies, but if we're going to make a war movie, like, let's make sure we know how to make all of these, like, all of our battleships and our... And our jet planes and all of our stuff that has to look cool. Let's make it look cool. Um, so then we get the um, we get the scene between Jin and Saw, which I do really love. I think these two actors are selling it, and I, I understand the, the, the show Don't Tell. Uh, I understand that we should see more of this. There should be more flashbacks of this relationship between the two of them. But I do love the, are we not still friends? And it's like, you but it it's not earned. Yeah. Right. I would have loved to see that like shot of sixteen year old Jin Urso getting abandoned again because the theme of this movie and the theme of who she is and why she's so like bitter for the beginning of this is that she just keeps getting abandoned. She's been mm-hmm. abandoned over and over and over again. And though I know that, I would love for you to show me that. Show me mm-hmm. her getting left yeah. behind once again and being sixteen and not able to understand why. Mm-hmm. And My biggest problem with this scene in particular is how rushed it feels in the scene, even. Like, the fact that there's the added bonus of, like, oh, man, there are people blow on it's exploding. Yep. It, it adds this, like, level of, like, we got to hurry, we got to stress. But, I, but I then also we need to take a moment to hear Galen's entire thing, you know? It, it's it so almost weird. feels like it's against itself in how they're presenting it to us. That's what uh, rubs me, though. You, I, that, was, that was another aspect that I didn't know how to word uh, correctly, and Tim, you fucking mm-hmm. you, you nailed it, I think. Like pacing and timing of all this as it's going. Can't help but wonder in a lot of these if there is more that was cut. (gasps) Oh yes, there was. Oh yeah. Like there always is in a movie, but like I can't help but wonder what parts, right? Because we don't know what was cut. So I have to believe that they must have flushed out, like because of how important they've made Saw Gerrera. There had to be more about Saw Gerrera, right? There had to be. Maybe. I mean, there is what. We only see one shot of him with, like, the super crazy hair, right, at the very beginning. I'm pretty sure in the trailer, like, you see, like, not a hologram shot of him with the crazy hair. Um, yeah. So, the, yeah, there had to have been more that they were like, hey, we a Star Wars movie needs to be close as to two hours as possible. We need to be mm-hmm. in and out, which, again, yeah. I think this is a disservice to what the premise of this kind of story is. Also, at one point, he asked uh, Jen Erso, what do you want? She doesn't know. And neither do we. Yeah. I wonder why it's hard for me to connect to her. Right. I do I do think in a post in a post endgame world and in a post like all this world, I don't think they would I, I think if Rogue One came out today, they wouldn't have any problem making it two and a half, three hours if they needed to. Uh and I think we would have gotten a little bit more out of that. Um I do enjoy the Colonel Kurtz, Marlon Brando ish performance, like that apocalypse now from uh, from Forrest Whitaker here, where he's like, oh, today of all days, it's a trap, isn't it? Where it's just like, oh. You're so my- good at it, dude. It's like, <laughs> really kind of worrisome how good we you are. Used to, listen, in the Star Wars office, we did nothing 
but Saw Gerrera impressions for a long time. We, I love Saw Gerrera in this movie because he's so unhinged. And There's an so iconic the star, or kind of funny moment, Carboni, that you'll appreciate where Kevin, who you know well, and sometimes mm-hmm. he speaks la- or quicker than uh, his brain is moving and all yeah. of that. Uh, he was once doing his impression of Forrest Whitaker in Rogue and it was, One. It was after you guys had first watched the Rogue One trailer. I think this was before yeah. the movie was even out. And uh, instead of saying, save the rebellion, save the dream, he, it sounded like he said, save the rebellion, save the trees. <laughs> like, the Lorax! Saw Gerrera is the Lorax! So, the best friend out there, can you, can you make Saw Gerrera as the Lorax? I speak for the tree! Okay, moving past this, though, this is where we get the, trees! the best shot ever. Of the Death Star. Oh, dude. The upside down yes. shot with the planet as the backdrop. Are you fucking kidding me? It's so good. Beautiful. It's so good. Um, yeah. I mean, also, we, we haven't talked point. enough about the Death Star in general with this. I love that the plot of this movie, yeah, it's stealing the, the plans or whatever. We just kind of, like, just take for granted the fact that the Death Star, A, is named the Death Star, B, mm-hmm. is a planet-destroying weapon. It is a yeah. super weapon that shoots a big blast made of lightsaber crystals. <laughs> yeah. destroy a planet, and they're like, fuck it, we need to do a test to see, oh, it's just going to destroy the city that our protagonists are in right now. Yeah. I fucking love the plot of there's this goddamn a, movie. There's a beautiful Mako reactor thing to this whole thing. Oh, there? 100%. Sure. You know, where it's like, here are these kyber crystals. They connect us to the force that guides the universe. This is this is the central of, like, all of our spirituality. It's what makes us who we are. And these bad guys come in, and they're like, looks like a fucking battery to me, dog. Yeah. And I just, I love that. I uh, love the Final Fantasy so VII of it all. Also, um, in, in this, it, when we get back to the Death Star and we get, like, inside and they're about to test, this is where I wrote down, man, C.G. Tarkin is a choice. I said this was... C.G. Tarkin is a choice. I do want to say I do love this scene between C.G. Tarkin, who is played by, I think it's a combination, I think it's a combination of Guy Henry and Stephen Stanton. I think it's Guy Henry as physical and Stephen Stanton for voice. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I think Guy Henry does a pretty good Peter Cushing. I think they went with Stephen Stanton because he did it in the Clone Wars. Right. But Ben Mendelsohn acting against C.G. Tarkin in this scene, these are two... I mean, listen, Again, what do you think about the way C.G. Tarkin looks? You know, great what, whatever, whatever you think about the way C.G. Tarkin looks... The performance of C.G. Tarkin is very good. Yeah. And the way, he is, the way he is just so calm, he's just like, well, um, you know, I'll tell the Emperor that your, you know, your idiocy didn't stop this. And, like, you know, it's like, he's like, well, the Emperor and Vader should be here to see this. It's like, yeah, you're lucky that I didn't invite them because your shit goes wrong so often. It's just like the way he's poking at Krennic's buttons and Krennic just falls for it. And it's just like... Oh, I love Ben Mendelsohn so much. So what do you good. think it was like when they rapped on this movie every night and fucking Ben Mendelsohn and fucking uh, 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 Hannibal Lecter, uh, Mads Mikkelsen, go out as these two fucking dope, cool European middle-aged dudes <laughs> just out on the town? Oh, what yeah. was drinking with those guys like every night when Rogue One rapped? Damn. I can't even imagine that. Damn. 
just two cool old dudes in sweaters cool talking dudes, shit. Man. Yeah, I love that. And continuing on this, like with this whole like taking over the project when it all like succeeds in this test and stuff like that. I just love that. Ben Mendelsohn's story of a man being destroyed by the job he worked so hard for is some great commentary mm-hmm. on the workforce in late well, capitalism, and I love it. Yeah, but so also, uh, also, you get what's coming to you if you spend your life working for the wrong thing, right? Like, sure. he's not forced into the capitalist system. He is a gleeful participant mm-hmm. in the imperial in the uh, empirical system. He loves it. Um, so yeah, this is what. So we get everybody's trying to get out of their out of their cages. Uh, they're about to, like, set off the Death Star. Single reactor, not a big deal, just single reactor. And um, we get Galen Erso's hologram pops up, and there's something so funny about this to me. Galen Erso's hologram pops up with its back to the camera, which is just so weird to me. Yep. I don't understand. Is it is it symbolic of something? What does it mean? They turn on the hologram, and it's facing the wrong way, and they have to walk around. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that, it's weird. It's, it's weird. They have to go on a journey around to see his true face. That's how you I mean, Yeah, I wonder if it was supposed to be like a reveal for Jin, you know? Of what yeah. her like, father looks face. like. I mean, flip out a hologram. Like, it's your freaking dad on this hologram. But I don't know. It's not like it's because she's kind of to the side of him. Yeah. It is just a little... It's, it's odd. odd. Yeah. It's and, odd. And, and, and I think this sequence fully encompasses a lot of the problems of, of pacing, exposition, that just kind of gets dumped within like a two-minute section, or Galen Erso delivers his message so quickly, and it's like so much exposition dump and barely any time to deliver it, what Tim was talking about and stuff again. But again, I would have loved to, you know, see Galen Erso learn to lie again. Tell me or uh, show me, don't tell me, and all this exposition dumb, but I get it. Mm-hmm. We're in a two-hour Star War where there's so much stuff going on, and we got to get to the final act with all the cool yeah. stuff that's happening visually. But also, yeah. what? I know it's your daughter, and you're going to have, like, endless love and support for your daughter, and you're going to believe that she is the most special boy in the universe, of course. But, like, him to just be like, you can probably do this incredibly, like, specifically skilled task, my daughter, just because you're my kid. assuming a lot of someone you haven't so much of who she ended up since she was, what, like, six? I don't know. But they did leave, they did leave her with Saw Gerrera specifically because... Again, they knew that he could train her and stuff. Would have been like, sold a little bit more on that if we saw more of that. Yeah. Though, you know? I will say, the thing that, the thing that I noticed about this scene is this is where we start this whole movie, but particularly this scene is where we start something that I think has become a problem for a lot of people with Star Wars, which is the story is about filling in a hole from a line that was said once in a thing X number of years ago. And this scene really drives it home. Like, this is fun. Like, this is a clever use of it. Why was it so easy to take out the Death Star? It was so easy to take out the Death Star because... Like, why didn't, you know, there have been so many jokes about what's with that vent in the Death Star? How come they can just shoot through that vent in the Death Star? Yeah, they just left the convenient off button. Yeah, this is a good use of filling in those holes, I think, this movie. But this is where I think the idea of all of these stories now can just fill in these holes came from. And I think that's something that's become a little tiring for people in Star Wars. 100%. And that's why I like that they're, you know, we're, we're moving towards more original stuff 
on the horizon because it's like, tell me more news stories. It's okay that somebody flubbed a line in 1983. It's okay. It's fine. <laughs> you know? Um, so I will say, watching a Death Star blast from ground level is one of the big payoffs of this film. Yeah, and this cool, is a sure. really intense, intense shot. Um, and this, uh, yeah, like them, like, where he's like, I still have to make them the calculations, I'll make them for you, and they blast mm-hmm. off. And then, like, it pans to the entire explosion going from, like, the planet up to space. Also a dope Here, shot, and it looks like... That's, oh, it, it, that's my favorite shot of the Death Star, is the silent pan up from Jetta mm, to the okay. Death Star hanging over. It's I mean, beautiful. This whole scene is incredible. Now, obviously, Saw Gerrera is like, hey, I'm staying behind. Uh, now, this is, this is the die. first time I'm going to agree with y'all. I don't understand Saw Gerrera in this moment. Now, he does say, like, there's very little of me left. There's, there's barely any of me left. There's very little of me left. Like, you know. So if he was, like, dying and they would have had to wait to try and save him, like, don't bother. There's very little left of me. But he's just standing there, man. This is a dude who, who 10 hours ago, was so still so dedicated to making to seeing this through to the end that he hooked a boar gullet up to a dude's brain, and now he's like, eh, I'm done Fuck running. <laughs> Why? Why? That's I don't understand from Sagarer in this and movie. The rest is a hundred. The rest is flawless. It's the first death in this movie, which will be of many to come, where we didn't emotionally care about the character. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I really do think that Forrest Whitaker's performance is very fun and it's very enjoyable to watch. I I, it's it. weird, but it's like I enjoy it in the way that I enjoy Palpatine, where it's like this doesn't make any freaking sense. But like, go off, King. Um, but when he stands there and he's like, "I'm going down with the ship, peace, guys." I'm like, I wish that broke my heart. Yeah. yeah, I wish I was so sad to see him stay behind and had this like. I wish that I was grieving for Jin. I wish that I was grieving for him, yeah. and I'm not. Well, think about this, Sage. Who's gonna comb more off the Gregorian's fur now? <laughs> now that makes you a little sad, doesn't it? Who's gonna clean all four of those tubes? God. For both of those egg mates. He was saying they can't clean their own tubes, and he's been doing it. He they could, they could clean their own tubes, but he just cares about them so much. Now, does that make you sad? No, don't tell. Tony <laughs> saw Guerrera cleaning the two tube tubes. Um, Krennic's best line, my favorite thing, Ben Mendelsohn looking at blowing up a holy city. Even the Empire calls it the holy city, and he goes, oh, it's beautiful. It's he beautiful. throws the line away. Yeah, he's, he does. It's just... And he throws it away in that perfect way where it's just like, oh, it's yeah. everything I ever would have imagined. Yeah. My beautiful right. Death Star. Oh, Someone giving me flowers. But also, oh. the performance in this scene of, we stand here amidst my achievement, not yours. I'm just like, ooh. I love it. I love very it. Very good. That's a very good scene. And where he's like, it doesn't matter. You fucked up. Galen Erso was the leak, so now this is my Death Star. I'm made out of a computer. Fuck off. 